you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good evening ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode for DK Mag Podcast My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com That is D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G And we are DK Mag, we're not DK Magazine, we're not DK, or the letters DK. And you can find us across social media platforms, Facebook, Google, Instagram. And joining me as co-host for this episode is... Daisy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag, we're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review... DK Mag on Stitcher, grading and reviews, and help us ring. And also, you can find our podcast on Google Music and on iTunes. Just type in DK Mag, and you could find a whole backlog of our full seasons. And in this episode, we strain away from our typical program. And since Halloween is right around the corner, this episode will be dedicated to a few of the upcoming events that will be taking place throughout the U.S. We also be presenting exclusive interviews with James Dempster of One Night of Fear, Miles Doliak of Demons, and Richard Roundtree from Dogged. All these films are currently will be released on VOD with the exception of Dogged which is currently running in film festival circulation. And without further ado, here is episode 9, season 5. The 2017 Village Halloween Parade One of the most memorable Halloween events that unfolds in New York City would have to be the Village Parade. The parade began, well, 43 years ago, my gosh, and has since drawn the attention of the citizens of New York City. I mean, we have DK Mag, we we attended one parade a few years back and let me tell you, the the amount of people that show up are amazing. And local news coverage come out to document this event. This year's parade is called Cabinets of Curiosities, an imaginary menagerie. And this will celebrate the hybrids, mashups, and frisions of crossed identities. According to the press release, This year's Halloween parade would feature recording artist Angelica and as this year's Grand Marshal. Here is a quote from Janine Fleming, artistic and producer director of the Village Halloween Parade. The Chestershire Cat famously says, Imagination is the best defense against reality. Imagination and curiosity are an incredible important part of making the world a better place and this is where the inspiration for this year's theme came from pt barnum and mary shelley unparalleled ideas shape stories that have endured the test of time 
we are thrilled to be able to celebrate the magical spirit of Halloween through their ideas in New York's very own imaginary menagerie. Angelica is unbelievably talented and the perfect choice for Grand Marshal. We are very much looking forward to having her incredible energy and standout ideas for this, for her presentation lead, the parade this year. And as we all know, the Halloween parade will begin in Greenwich Village and it stretches across all the way to 23rd Street. Amazing route. It's about it's a, it's a many, many blocks of walking, but you would not know it. And my suggestion is to get there early and secure your, your post because it gets very crowded and you cannot leave your post once you're once you're in place because it's going to be very hard to maneuver around the crowd so stacy uh this this halloween parade is a staple for halloween uh do they have parades uh such as this in your location not that i can think of i would actually have to uh look it up but <clears throat> for Halloween, usually we have nightclubs and bars that might do stuff, lounges that may have, um, you know, like a, a Halloween get together and like have specials and deals on uh, the drinks and stuff like that, but nothing really big like a parade as far as I know. <clears throat> yeah, the, Hall the, the Village Halloween Parade is, I mean, wow. It, over the years it has grown and grown and grown uh, many people attend and you see a lot of weird things let me tell you I mean people get creative with their costumes and they get to participate walking in the parade there's also a yearly uh, dance routine a bunch of zombies dance to the song from Michael Jackson Thriller and that's that's a yearly staple for the for the parade which is pretty cool and let me tell you as i mentioned there's some weird stuff that you get to see <laughs> oh my gosh very weird i bet um, we have a couple of parades around here but it's not halloween it's other um other holidays and you see some you see some weird stuff there too so <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> oh yeah uh, the, the one thing is there's no alcohol and during the parade but you would know people are drunk with excitement and that's what makes those yeah. parades you know stand out so much <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> like and you know costumes is like the parade that you know like costumes are you're just like wow yeah, you know, it's almost like being at a comic con. Now people just go all out for these holiday parades. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, we we attended one time, and that was like that was years ago, maybe four, five, six years ago. And wow, it's amazing. Uh, there there are a lot of creative people out there, and they take the time to design their costumes. I think. Some may have even designed their costumes month in, in, in advance. And one of the things is the parade that allows uh, people to partake. So you could walk if you have a nice 
costume that fits the theme, you get to walk in the parade as a participant. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this year. We won't be attending uh, local television, which is Channel 11. They cover the parade. So for those who don't attend, Channel 11 just covers uh, one particular area of the route. Los Angeles Haunted Hayride. Well, they're saying that clowns are back, but I feel like clowns will never go away. Los Angeles Haunted Hayride is incorporating the clown theme into the mix in honor of the release of it and the premiere of American Horror Story Caught. From the press release, Los Angeles Haunted Hayride unveils most iconic and horrifying theme yet as clown as announced for 2017. We've pulled out all the stops and decided to just ruin people this year with the biggest girth of horrifying clown, mayhem, you're sure to find anywhere in the country. Come into the woods to feel the terror of clown. The terror of Los Angeles Haunted Hayride begins on September 29, 2017, and will be open select nights until October 31st. For more information, visit the Los Angeles Haunted Hayride website at losangelesshauntedhayride.com. So, Ken, what do you think about tonight? Like I said, I feel like uh, the clown thing will always be around. Oh, that's that's one type of uh, horror that it, it's iconic. I mean, you could have it, you could have clowns in American Horror Story, and they all resonate with that fear. I mean, I'm, there must be a lot of people who are scared of clowns for clowns to be, you know, a staple in horror. Oh, no doubt. Um Clowns bring about a lot of fear. I mean, ever since I, and I always take it back to cinema uh, because like, you know, you see movies like Daisy and everything. And every clown film that comes out into horror seems to be more dark and disturbing than the last. And- it, um, Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So when you look at that, yeah. If you look at that, you're just like, yeah, clown is uh, the clown is a source of nightmares. <laughs> I mean, me, I'm I'm more terrified of dolls because I watch Child's Play at eight years old. So that's why I'm more terrified of dolls. But yeah, uh, these clown films, they can stir up some nightmares, <laughs> definitely. Oh yeah, I agree. And the creator for this event, her name is Melissa Carborn, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah, I. She has a, a very interesting success story, uh, didn't she? She got two million dollar award from Shark Tank for her idea, and she's also the author of a book. Uh, what was the name of it? Ready, aim, ready, fire, aim. How I turned a hobby into an empire. And this is one of those things I, I always I enjoy when somebody turns an idea into a profit into a profitable business Th that's amazing and uh using the clowns and the haunted play hayride the haunted hayride as a source of entertainment and capitalize on the 
on the aesthetic the horror aesthetic for halloween i mean come on you have to you have to give applause where it's due that's that's amazing Yes, and also knowing that um, they're also incorporating it and American Horror Story Club. I, mean, I don't know if you've um, watched uh, the season premiere or the second episode yet, but um, the clowns in there are very creepy and it gets very intense. Well, American Horror Story, they, they created such a chaos with that uh, circus epi- uh, season. The one about yeah, the circus, yeah. Oh, come on! Uh, the, the, the clowns were even protesting, saying that it was giving them a bad rap. I mean, the bad rap was already done. They, they <laughs> <laughs> come on, that's been done. American Horror Story. They just enhanced it a bit with that clown with this creepy smile, like that. That that was sick. Oh, yeah. And then, like, Twisty from Freak Show actually uh, makes an appearance in uh, Caught as well. So, yeah, one of the creepiest clowns ever <laughs> comes back. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I have been following American Horror Story, but I am sure whoever attends the Haunted Hayride, they're going to be frightened because, yeah, just like you mentioned, uh, that that's one terrifying clown. Yes, I, I agree. Halloween Horror Nights. Halloween Horror Nights is opening once again at Universal Studios Hollywood. And this year, it's filled with surprises. According to the press release, there would be celebrity guest appearances. You have Jessica Roth, Israel Broussard, Tobin Bell, Lee Bueno, uh, Jason Bloom, Frank Grillo, Jennifer Tilly. Uh, these are iconic uh, staples in horror and modern horror too. Of course, Frank Grillo, we all know from The Purge, and Jennifer Tilly, I know, Stacy, you remember her from your favorite franchise, Child's Play. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Halloween Horror Nights, they are presenting new mazes, and these mazes are themed around American Horror Story, Roanoke. Uh, that was a popular series on uh, on FX uh, wouldn't you say so I think that was one of your favorite episodes Stacy Roanoke wasn't it no. <laughs> <laughs> no well if you don't like Roanoke the other mazes would include from the purge sinister and the upcoming film happy death day uh, there is also some inspiration from insidious Beyond the Further is called, and uh, The Last Key, I believe, is going to be releasing in January, and they also have a themed uh, entertainment concept behind that. And you also have Saw, and of course, you cannot have a universal Halloween horror event without Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface and The Walking Dead. I mean, if you want scares, 
uh, it's it's for the whole family uh, in my opinion because you, you could take your kids to these type of events i'm unsure on how the horror level is on a scale of one to ten but even if it's a eight or five I, I believe there is a way you know you can sneak them in there you know put your kids in your backpack let them have a horrifying <laughs> experience <laughs> i i wouldn't advise that but yeah uh, these events are pretty cool and uh like i like i had mentioned they have guest appearances and uh yeah definitely if you're interested Go to www.halloweenhorrornights.com forward slash Hollywood and they have more, a lot of information and exclusive content, uh, videos, and you could also follow Universal Horror Nights on social networking platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Periscope, and you could see footage from the years before and of course the scream those reactions from patrons as they walk through the mazes uh stacy this is one event that i have been yearning to go to sometime sometime soon i hopefully would attend uh Har halloween horror nights in hollywood there's also one in florida but i want to i want to go to the one in hollywood I do as well. Um, I've been wanting to go for years, and it's one of those events, like, from where I'm at, it's going to take probably about a year or so in planning just to get to Hollywood alone, <laughs> alone to the event. You know, I mean, there's the airfare, the hotel, and that's, that's uh, like a year or so worth of planning, but uh, it's definitely on my bucket list. Exactly, yeah, it's it's something to go and, and enjoy especially if you enjoy horror and you, as i mentioned they have a lot of themed events freddy krueger jason Voorhees, uh chucky they have uh, uh, a theme with chucky involved i i know stacy you want to attend that just because of that and uh speaking about chucky chucky's hosting uh the new the titans of Tra titans of terror tram and it's hosted by Chucky. My thinking is, would they have somebody dressed up as Chucky? Or would it be Chucky like at a, a, a video screen guiding people? That, that's interesting. Well, unless they have a little toddler, <laughs> you know, being Chucky, that would not work. No, no, no. And I'm actually like really mad because I love Chucky pretty much of all the movies. I know all the movies uh, by heart. That's how much I love the Chucky franchise. So it really sucks that I'm going to miss this one. Yeah. And <laughs> as, as I mentioned, this is like a family event because you have the Jabberwockies. Uh, if nobody knows who the Jabberwockies is, and no, this is not the characters from Star Wars. No, these, this is the dance troupe. Uh, very popular across YouTube and uh, I believe they did compete on a dance TV show I don't watch TV I'm just assuming they did because there's so many dance TV shows on TV don't quote me on that one but yeah you could find Jabberwocky's dance routines on YouTube and they're going to be performing at the uh, Halloween uh, Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood that's something to look forward to they have so much things going on at this event it's it's amazing 
So uh, plan, plan your planning and visit the website to get tickets. Indiana Beach Halloween Horror. And there is another event in Monticello, Indianapolis. And this is called, what is this one called? Halloween Horror. Halloween Horror. And it opens October 29th. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, so debuting September 9th, October 1st would run Saturdays and Sundays through September 24th. Uh, open weekend through October 29th, Halloween Horror will provide treats by day and fright by night thrills and chills. So here's how it works out. The family, kids, mom and dad can enjoy pumpkin decorating, costume contests, and chick-a-treat. And they have hay rides and attractions, but by night the area would transform and it would be called a Journey Down Nightmare on Schaefer Drive. Uh, the Grand Ballroom's Haunted Exhibit. Uh, they will be presenting some freaky stuff. Uh, they're they're going to be presenting a reimagining of the historic Frankenstein's Castle. And patrons will have the opportunity to have a look inside Frank's Funhouse. That is interesting in itself right there. Frank's Funhouse. I wonder how that's going to look on the inside. So the, bro the boardwalk stage will play host to the Monster Mash. And they will have live DJs from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. 10 p.m. every night. Uh, this is on Indiana Beach. And uh, yeah, you could get your tickets at indianabeach.com forward slash events. And this is this is pretty cool because they offer a lot of activities in the daytime for the family and then in the evening time for the uh, for the adults. So they have the best of both worlds. Pretty cool. Indiana Beach. You have Oktoberfest and Halloween Horror. So Stacy, uh, the first thing that comes to my head for Oktoberfest is beer. So it's daytime beer and evening time monsters. Yes, and actually we do have October fest in Cleveland. That's one thing. I think that or or is it coming up? I forget. But um, talks about October fest was actually spreading around here. So that's one thing that we do have. But like these events are just like so exciting, but nothing ever comes to Cleveland. At least nothing big like this anyway. Like if it comes to Ohio, it's either Cincinnati or Columbus. Or if it does come to Cleveland, it's not as big as other locations. And it's not. Yeah, that's that's not right. They should be a Halloween event in every major city. And 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 not only the major cities, you know, little little cities inside the city, inside the state. It should be something like that because it's not fair for the major city to have an event and then the, you know, for persons who live outside the city that just, what, stay home, eat a lot of candy. That's no fun. I agree, and actually, Cleveland is a major city, and Cleveland is like getting 
even uh, more and more big now with all these renovations going on. Um, like downtown, it looks like they're trying to look like, you know, like New York or something with all the recent renovations. So that's why it's mind-boggling why like big events like this for Halloween doesn't come to town. Exactly, exactly. Like this, like this event in particular, you have Oktoberfest, you have Halloween Horror, and uh, it's on the boardwalk of uh, Indiana Beach. Uh, yeah, if so if in the daytime you want to partake in some craft beers and uh, what else do they have on their menu here? According to the press release, it's cow-crow, potato salad, apple strudel. <laughs> apple strudel. And uh, in the evening time, you have these creepy events. Uh, Frank's Fun House and Nightmare on Schaefer Drive. A zombie train attack and a two terrifying scare zones. Wow. I mean, Cleveland, Ohio should come up with something like this. I mean, even a parade. Parade for kids. Don't, don't they have like a major pumpkin picking event in, in Cleveland or something like that? Sure, I've never heard of anything. It has to be something. The only thing thing big I've heard about is Oktoberfest. Wow. That's that's strange. How can a city not have nothing for Halloween? That is just strange. And like I said, the club nightclubs and everything, they'll always have like Halloween themed parties but it's kind of like going to a house party and everybody dressing up and dancing that's pretty much for the kids yeah but it needs something for the kids you have to scare the kids uh, well there's boo at the zoo boo at the zoo <laughs> <laughs> boo at the zoo okay wow boo at the zoo i, I mean that, that's more on an educational level because what are you gonna you know the animals are gonna be dressed up in costume no that's no I, I'm not knocking it down either but yeah the, the zoo anybody could go in a zoo on any day exactly yeah. I took my daughter last Halloween and I mean it was okay uh, she saw her favorite characters there you know like Disney characters and the only one she was afraid of, because she didn't really know who it was, was Captain America. <laughs> oh, she was afraid of Captain America? Yeah, well, she doesn't really know Captain America. She knew Spider-Man, but yeah. <laughs> she shied away from Captain America. Oh my gosh, that's funny. I mean, you had you said there were Disney characters there. Were that the zombie Disney characters? They weren't zombies? Well, no, um, like... You know, Elsa and Anna from Frozen, the princesses. Um, yeah, what's her name from? I think she was from Star Wars. I think it was a Star Wars character. I'm not Princess Leia. Star Wars. Yeah, Princess Leia. Princess Leia was there, and then Captain America, Spider Man was there. Um, Tinker Bell, of course, she loves Tinker Bell. So. <laughs> I mean, nothing really scary was there. I mean, it would be cool if the <laughs> Disney characters were uh, just Zombified. like uh, zombies, or they could be like the girls from Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. I mean, yeah, they could be zombie 
fighter kick-ass princesses that'd be cool well you you have got to write to your congressman or your mayor say excuse me i am uh, and you say your name i work for dk mag and i protest an <laughs> event a halloween event just like in new york a parade or oktoberfest with zombies and you write him a real stern letter that could work yeah it could work yeah but if i don't hear you for the next podcast i know what happens they probably knock on your door and say excuse me man we need to speak with you (laughs) oh wow well to close this uh, segment yeah definitely visit uh indiana beach if you're in the neighborhood or get tickets indianabeach.com slash events and get all the information for halloween horror and oktoberfest Exclusive interview, Jimmy Dempster, Jessica Sonneborn, One Night of Fear. I mean, two of our best friends are dead now. All because I insisted we come here instead of going to our usual spot. On September 14, 2017, I had the opportunity to speak with Mr. James Dempster. In his upcoming film, One Night of Fear, uh, this is a slasher concept that is uh, currently available on video on demand. And we have reviewed this film, so feel free to visit DKMAG, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com for our opinion on One Night of Fear. And tune in to our interview with Mr. Dempster, where he discusses the film and various aspects of his career and including in this interview was a very special guest and her name is Jessica Sonborn and she joined our interview and she also reflects uh, her opinion on portraying the role of Katie in the film One Night of Fear So if you haven't seen this film, do check it out. It is a throwback to classic slasher era of the 80s and early 90s. So if you like those type of uh, films, definitely give this a watch. And I'm going to start out with a brief introduction. Uh, My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. And joining me this afternoon is actor and stuntman Jimmy Dempster and... He is starring as Rob in the newly released film, One Night of Fear. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Dempster. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it, man. You're welcome. And uh, I'm going to start up with the icebreaker question. Uh, Can you share your favorite type of films in the horror genre? Oh, man. Um, It's tough to kind of narrow it down to one specific uh, part of the I mean, that's the great thing about horror, right? You can, Hi. uh, <laughs> hello. How are you? 
Hey, how's Great. everything? How you feeling? I'm good. How are you guys? Not bad, not bad. Great. Your voice has been a while. <laughs> I know, I know. Long time. Uh, we 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 just got started, and uh, uh, let me just introduce you. <laughs> uh, Join okay. us, is Jessica Sanborn, actress, producer, and uh, you also star in yeah. One Night of Fear. Yes, I I met Jimmy out there in Florida. Nice. And it was so fun. <laughs> well, I I just relayed a question for for Mr. Dempster. Uh, the question was for him, and I'll, I'll relay it to you as well. Um, this is an icebreaker question. Uh, can you share some of your favorite type of films in the horror genre? Uh, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, go it's, ahead, Jimmy. Um, it, it, it's tough because it's like, well, that's the great thing about horror, you know, right? It's like there's so many different avenues and roads to go down. I mean, you got like... Uh, there's, you know, slasher, there's, uh, you know, Japan has amazing horror. There's like French extreme. There's a little bit of everything. Uh, if I had to choose one, I'd probably have to go with the old school slashers. I'm, you know, I'm an eighties kid and I'm just a big fan of, uh, that's, you know, that's where it all started for me. I think was, uh, the slasher genre, the Friday the 13th and the nightmare on Elm streets and all that stuff really stuck with me. If I had to choose one, I guess I'd have to go with that. And I'm probably the opposite. I'm I'm more into I I grew up kind of like on psycho and like real old school kind of like more thrillery type I would say horror. Um my dad was a film historian and so like I watched a lot of Hitchcock and stuff like that as a kid and we had like picture books that had like the whole um all the frames of the movies in them and stuff like that. And I used to like flip through them and freak myself out. Even though now looking back, they're not, they're not that scary. They're not, it's a different kind of scary that than you know, a lot of the horror movies today, but, um, I love the shining, um, you know, that kind of creepy drawn out, you know, that type of horror. Right. And it's amazing. Uh, how horror is just a whole wide spectrum. And I think that's one of the, what makes this genre so popular is that it caters to diverse tastes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, this next question, I was trying to tailor it around uh, uh, to compliment uh, uh, the two of you. This next question, uh, of course, is general. Um, horror has uh, the trait of being physically taxing on the actor. And what I mean by that is, is more physical contact, is running. Uh, is this somewhat true? And how does it compare to other roles that you have portrayed? I'll start it off with Jimmy and then Jessica, you can answer a second. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it definitely does. I mean, a good example for that holds true for me is uh, I did a film called The Last One, and I have to play a really, really, <laughs> really sadistic cannibal mountain kind of guy in that in that film and that that took uh it took a lot to get to that and really kind of portray that properly and you know without <clears throat> without kind of like being too phony about it because it's silly it's like at the end of the day you're 
trying to be this crazy killer guy, but in real life, you're just, you know, some dude who has a family and kids and <laughs> you know what I mean? You're married and all that fun stuff. And, uh, I really had to go to a different place to get into that character. Um, I didn't talk to anybody on set. You know, I, I did all the usual routines that you hear people do. Like I really had to kind of think evil thoughts and, um, I, I find myself sometimes bringing that a little bit of that out and as well in other work that I've done. Um, and as far as like the physical stuff, yeah, I mean, One Night of Fear was a good example of that. Um, you know, there's a lot of running and a lot of yelling and you, we had to constantly be in like a hyper kind of tension setting. You know, we were constantly uh, either bickering or running or it's like a constant state of panic that we had to keep ourselves in. And, you know, when the cameras are off, it's like it's tough to kind of just relax and chill out and then go back on and, and then be that way again. I like to try to. The best I can, I like to try to stay in the moment um, for as long as possible. So, yeah, I, I definitely think so, for sure. Um, yeah, for me, I, I, I'm not at all method at all. I don't, I don't, I don't really stay in it, um, which I think I, I really respect people that do. I think it takes, it takes so much out of you when you're like, when you stay in those moments and, and have to like, and really dedicate to that character. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not dedicated, but I just, I don't, I, I, I don't know if it's my ADD or what, but I, I just, <laughs> I come in and out of it, you know? So when I do horror movies and when I do physically taxing things, you know, I can be um, thrown around, dragged around, whatever. And then laughing as soon as they yell cut, it just, it doesn't affect me at all. Um, and I do agree. I do think that horror movies and thrillers, like the ones I've worked on, are, are in general more physically taxing than other genres that I've done. But I did do a, I did do a drama um, recently where I played somebody that gets beat up a lot, and there was a lot of stunts and you know really emotional scenes where I'm being dragged and hit and beat up by my my lovely boyfriend in the movie. <laughs> um, oh, that sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was that was one of the most physical roles I've ever played. Like he literally picks me up by the neck and then throws me down and uh um I got to act with uh Tally Clemens and he was he was a great scene partner. We had a lot of fun doing it. But you know, like one night of fear tons of running and screaming and, you know, action. And it was, I, I personally love that type of role and that type of um, acting. So um, it was a very physical movie and it was a lot of fun. We had, I think we had a blast out there. Um, But it wasn't, it's, yeah, I don't know. There's hardly ever a horror movie that you get to the set and you're like, Oh, I'm just kind of, talking and seeing you know you're usually going to be running around and screaming I just did one a couple weeks ago um and my character happened to scream and I was like oh you guys know that I'm great at screaming and they were like no we didn't know and I'm like aha and you know I have to warn the sound guy ahead of time (laughs) adjust your levels before I start screaming because it's going to be but it's yeah it's always going to be um you know some heightened adrenaline. Otherwise, it it can't be a horror movie. I mean, yeah. 
Precisely. And I bring that up because one of the one of the prime examples of a physically taxing and emotionally taxing movie was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Those actors were put through hell during yeah. the filming and you just see it on in the film. That's what makes the film such a classic. That's raw emotion right yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that's the one that uh, that's the one I always go to whenever. It's a perfect example because you watch that film, and I think what's so polarizing about it is it it doesn't strike you as like a movie. You look at the movie and you're like, ah, these people aren't actors. I think they're just like it's like a document. It was you know that documentary style, the way it was shot. It just had that gritty, grimy, uh, grindhouse you know, early '70s look to it, and it just looks and it's not loaded with stars nowadays. If something you know. A lot of times nowadays, something like that would come out and you can kind of take yourself out of it because it's going to be loaded with some recognizable faces. You know what I mean? They're going to be a bunch of um, a bunch of actors who are either like on television now or, or something like that. It'll be loaded with some, some familiar faces. But back then, when that when that hit, that must have been insane. You know, like just it's like, oh, my God, did this really happen? And the way it was sold, too, was perfect marketing. You know, it was sold like a real thing, like yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, like, oh, sh- this really happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like Very the Last real. House on the Left and stuff like that. Same thing. It was like just yeah. so shocking because it was, it just felt like, oh, wow, are these like girls just like anybody's neighbor or, or kid or whatever? Like, no, oh, they just kind of like went snuck out and then all of a sudden they're, being terrorized by these people in the woods and you know it felt so real Mm, yeah yeah that's when horror movies were they pushed the envelope now of course we have more disney versions hitting the theaters (laughs) that's another topic right there (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, for one night of fear uh it follows the attributes of slasher classics uh, the the color tone it does remind me of those that like a 70s early 80s era of slasher were these things that attracted the two of you um when you first read the script and and how this film resonated with classics oh for sure yeah definitely with me yeah um, i uh when they when brian and jonna started the film or when they first uh I had a meeting with them and they laid it out to me and they said, Hey, this is the role that we're interested in. I did a couple of short things with them beforehand. So I kind of built a, a good relationship with them. And when they offered it to me, I was excited. I was like, yeah, cool. It was like, technically, I think by the time that was released, I think that was, I guess, technically my first kind of male lead kind of role where I'm in the thing, um, whatever you want to call it. But I was excited because I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, man, this is an old school kind of, you know, rough and dirty, you know, no games, <laughs> you know, the, the, yeah. like, like right, right from the beginning of the movie, you, you pretty much know what you're in for, you know, it's a kind of just, you know, no punches pulled, you know, just kind of just like old school seventies, uh, eighties slasher film. And I looked at it, I'm like, yeah, I, I couldn't wait to do it. I couldn't wait to do it. And I was like, yeah, man. It's to me. It was like the equivalent of being in, you know, the, one of the movies that I grew up. Uh, I grew up watching. You know, you're running away from the mad guy, and you're trying. And plus, I got a chance to be the good guy, which I don't often get to do. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Yeah. I I never get to play the like. I don't know. Not that I was a nice girl, but like the the not the bitch or the you know. 
you know, that character. Yeah, that, yeah, your character in that film had a great arc because it starts off like, what are we going to do? But then by the end of it, you know, to those who have seen it know, it's like you really, really kind of come out and hold your own at the end of that. And that's really, really cool. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. And it had, you know, it like, I don't know about you, Jimmy, but like when we, it was like, it was kind of nice that there weren't so many characters in it. It wasn't like all muddled with like a whole bunch of different like things happening. It, it Like you said, it was like right to the point. The characters are kind of laid out and it's kind of, it was pretty much, you know, what the five of us pretty much going through the journey um, and then getting picked off and, um, that, that's always you know. the fun part. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I, I had, you know, I, we met online like right after we got cast. Right. And I was excited to work with you and, and I'd heard of Susie and I had always wanted to work with her and she was, she's just such a nice person, really fun to work with too. Um, so it was, it was great. Yeah, it was cool. And one of the one of the traits that One Night of Fear presents is uh, the, of course, the male lead uh, takes the helm of uh, protecting the damsel in distress, let's say. But then the the tables turn, and now we have a a strong female who who takes upon herself to defend herself. So the question is, how did these characters resonate with you with these uh, with these character outlines? Um, for me, it was it, it was it was really cool because um, I didn't want to really play the guy who just you know a, a lot of movies there's like the tough guy and then there's like the the cheerleader or I don't know they're they're so you could there's a lot of movies where you could take characters out of one movie and you could interchangeable a lot of the characters. Um, I like the fact that we were just kind of Rob's just a simple guy. He's not like a he's never really written as like a a hero of any kind. He's almost kind of like very reluctant hero, if if anything. It's like he he's, he feels responsible because he brings these uh, his friends and his girlfriend up to this place without checking it out ahead of time. And you know, of course, when the shit hits the fan, it's it's kind of his fault. So he tries to step up a little bit and and handle that the best way that I guess he knows how under pressure. But um, there a good example. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a good example. Um, it, when they wrote the script, like for my fight my death, um, it's not really written or drawn out. It's just like, you know, like the, it's like half a page. It's like, you know, they go out to the barn to rescue, um, you know, to rescue Susie. And then I have, I confront the guy so they can get away. And then I kind of go out in a blaze of glory or whatever. <laughs> uh, the only way it was written was, um, uh, was it just described the way I died. About five minutes or so before we shot the actual scene, um, the director comes up to me and Brian, he says, Hey, Jim, we're about to shoot this scene. Um, how do you want to go about doing it? You know, I know you have some fight background, some stunt background, however you want to do it. Now that's, that's very rare. That's, that's almost never happened, you know, to get that kind of freedom that I think you can only get on independent films like that is really cool. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world for me to just, you know, turn him into a superhero and, <laughs> charge after him and start beating the hell out of the man. But I'm like, no, nah, man, because I thought two things. That's going to really just come out of nowhere, and that's that's bullshit. I wouldn't want to see that if I was watching a movie. I don't care if I was in it or not. Like, that's bullshit. That's not his character. 
he's just kind of just that's why I just come up with the I'll just run after him, charge him, hold him off, maybe get a couple shots in, and then I said you could flip me over and slam me up against the wall and then do your thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That makes sense. And, well, yeah, that, and then, like I said, also, the second thing was, is that it would also lessen the impact of when Jessica becomes strong. You know what I mean? When Kate kind of comes into her own and decides, the hell with this. I'm not going to deal with this shit any longer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this guy out. You know, everyone's getting picked off, and it's just, you know, me, we're here alone in the house, and, you know, he's going he's gonna to have to fight for it. He's going to have to sing for a supper, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And if I just went on nuts on him, then it, I, I think that would have... I think it would have slightly weakened what she ends up doing. You know, he has to feel, he has to feel uh, invincible and he has to feel unbeatable going into the final uh, thing, final battle. I thought. Um, I, I, well, I didn't, I didn't know that story. I didn't know that he that he was letting you be so, um, I don't know. I, I didn't know that. That's so cool. But yeah, yeah Brian you know I mean? was cool to work with like that. He was pretty. He was pretty open to, you know, yeah, listening so many, to, so many, you know. Yeah, so many times you're, you know, how it is. I mean, so many times you're on set and it's like, well, if it's not how it's on the page, forget it, you know. And you find out pretty quickly. But he gave yeah. you the freedom to be kind of, hey, you know, you got an idea with this? And I said, yeah, I got an idea, and we'll shoot it and we'll see. And you know, it just, I guess, you know, it ended up working out, and that's really rare, really cool. Yeah. And, you know, when I read the script, I, yeah, I, I loved, I loved playing, you know, a character that I don't often play. I, I have played strong female characters before, but it's always nice to see, you know, that the, you know, that a, a girl can hold her own and take care of herself. And, um, and, uh, it's interesting because I felt like when I read it and when I saw that Susie was cast, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of playing the brunette. <laughs> it's, always, it's always the brunette that kind of plays those strong characters. And even though I'm blonde, I was like, oh, I'm darker blonde. So I'm kind of like playing the brunette. But um, yeah, it was great. It was, it was, it was um, a great script. And I was excited to play such a, a strong chick. And um, I loved it. Nice. Um, yeah, for your character, uh, Katie, um, she can be classified as a as a final girl. This is term now, final girl. Just uh, been since the seventies. Uh, you have the strong female lead going up against the the powerful male antagonist. Uh, for you, in your from your point of view, Jessica, do you feel this is the still carries that social commentary of male oppression over the female uh, uh, figure? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've never had that kind of question before. I don't know. I don't, I, I think maybe in horror movies, it's, a, we are a little bit, a little bit behind maybe in horror movies as far as, that type of thing. I don't know. I, 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 there's a lot of, you know, I don't know. There's, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like things are changing and there's definitely a lot more strong female characters and, um, you know, the final girl. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, but I, I think that 
um, there's a lot of, you know, ex- kind of exploitation in horror movies, and we all know what it is, and I mean, we all play into it in a certain way. It doesn't really bother me. I, I've never felt oppressed myself. I, You know, if I'm going into a role and I know what the role is, I'm choosing to do it for one reason or another. I, I never feel oppressed. I don't know. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I just have well, fun with it. I just think it's you know, if if you choose to do something and you want to do something, you do it. And um, I don't know. I've been doing it for a long time, so um, it, you know, I don't know. I think <laughs> it's really cool when there's strong female characters, and sometimes there aren't, and you take the role if you want to do it or not. You know, right. So. Yeah, um, it, it that basically started off because you had mentioned the perfect movie, which was the last house on the left, and there was the other one, I spit in your grave. Um, these all dealt with, uh, you know, the the bad guys, the antagonists were were males. They always suppressed the females. Of course, you see that in I spit in your grave, and then the tables turn. And you see the the the, the yeah. female lead just kicks ass, and everybody <laughs> just cheers for that. Everybody loves that stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I I personally like those movies. I I actually um, was up for the, for the, um, the, the, uh, the, was it the sequel to I Sit on Your Grave that they just made the Deja Vu one. Um, and I met with the director and um, um, what was his name? Um, uh, oh my God, it starts with an M. The, the original director. Um, oh, yeah. And, right. oh, my God, I can't think of his name. But he was awesome, and, and he told me the whole story of how that movie came about. and Or maybe it was his son that told me, because I was one of the I, – I was one of the – I think there were three girls up for the role, and so I had to get kind of the whole rundown and the whole check check me out to make sure I was not – crazy <laughs> if I could do this role and um I personally think that those roles are awesome you know I I was up for playing that I I get it and it that actually I spit on your grave came from a real situation where um the director was hiking and a woman came running out of the woods and was just had just been brutally attacked and um so he came up with that idea after helping, you know, after actually seeing somebody that had just been through this brutal attack and he wanted to give power to, you know, a character um, after that. So I think it's awesome. I think, you know, I don't, I don't read too much into it, you know, I think it's fun and it's awesome. So. And, uh, thank you for touching up on on on, on that because I spit in your grave touches on a, a true to life case and I one night of fear also does that according to the synopsis it it's inspired by the true story in the Ocala National Forest where multiple campers and hikers have vanished without a trace. Uh, yeah, I don't think I knew that until I went out to film and I was like, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's yeah. At first, I thought it was just um, I thought it was just like part of the synopsis. I thought it was just uh, 
tying into the movie. I had no idea that. It, I mean, obviously, it's very. I'm sure, very loosely based on uh, on what. Who, I mean, I, apparently, I, after later on, it was only after the fact that I did a little bit of looking around and digging in, and uh, this what happened out there in Ocala, and I, you know, found out uh, it, it's all it's all still a mystery of what went down. Right, and. That's right. Um, my next question was, uh, if you had any, any idea of that, uh, prior to coming in and now since the movie was done, uh, these cases, these, this is just one, there are many cases in, in national forests of people just disappear. So did that, uh, open your eyes? Like, oh, these things actually do happen. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the scary thing about movies. A lot of times is, uh, if you look back at any really great horror film, like like Jessica just mentioned, they're usually based on um, something that happened in reality. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, the craziest movie out there is almost always based on like like The Exorcist, uh, which is my go-to Dark Side of the Moon for as far as movies go. It's like, oh my yeah. god, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> I and that's why I've always said I think psychological thrillers and that type of horror movie is the scariest because it is based on i mean human nature is so scary it you know what people do to each other i think is terrifying you know i if like the you know i i'm also scared of like you know ghosts and aliens and stuff like that but like but what humans how cruel humans can be to each other in real life is what's really terrifying to me and i i I like to try to understand it, um, and that's why I like that kind of movie. Um, it's just you know, it, this is real. It's not, you know, if you watch like a really scary ghost movie or something, you could argue maybe that's not real or that didn't happen or oh, there's no such thing as ghosts or whatever. But yeah, when you watch what people do to each other, you're like, oh yeah, people have done worse than that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. I, I get I, I get a. Uh, actually, I just got asked that question recently, and uh, I actually mentioned um, Toby Hooper, who you know, rest in peace, just passed. Um, he actually mentioned in a, a documentary interview one time. He said something about uh, when he was a kid, what inspired him to make movies, and he said, "Well, you know, uh, monsters never scared him, and aliens and all that stuff never scared him, and uh, it was it was people he was afraid of." You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, your next door neighbor, everybody. And it's weird now. It holds true now because with technology the way it is, you know, people hardly pick up the phone and call, you know, their friends and be like, hey, what's going on? You know, hardly really that much anymore. It's like now it's like, oh, you didn't get my text. You didn't get my email. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I liked it on Facebook. It's like, no, man, I'm, I'm old school, dude. I'm an analog dude. Yeah, I think people are getting world. so disconnected. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really freaky, and you just don't know what's going on in somebody's mind. You know, the, you know, you, you know what I mean? I'm the same way. You, you watch, like well, you said, like Jessica said, you watch a ghost movie or something like that, and you could pretty much take yourself out of it at any time. Arguably, I mean, there's people who are you know really into it, but who believe that? Yeah. Well, for, for to me, me, it's like Terminator and Terminator mm-hmm. Two, and like like I, if you, th- I love those. Those are like two of my favorite movies, but like. Hell yeah. And they don't scare me, but if you really think about it, it's, hello, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> like, this is what is going to happen. We are yeah. becoming yeah. too dependent on technology. I mean, it's, 
that that's that is scary. Yeah. You know, what do we do? I mean, you got you're in Florida, Jimmy. Or no, you're in you're in uh, Atlanta now. But I mean, what do you do when you lose power? Everybody's losing power and you can't function. Like, how do I do anything? How do I get to where I want to go? Because my cell phone isn't, you know, doesn't have a charge. We're all becoming so, so, so dependent. We're going off on a tangent, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. It's scary. (laughs) It is true. It is true. And uh, I I agree with, with, with your point of view, Jessica. I think that Terminator seek uh, a scene. It's coming into fruition. That's scary right there. Yeah. Um, for one night of fear, uh, what were uh, what was one of the moments that were really like intensive uh, during the shoot? Um, the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing was pretty. As Jimmy said at the beginning, I mean, we started off like. You know, we're walking, and then the next thing you know, it's like it's on. Like we were running. It, the whole thing was pretty intense, I would say, just from the beginning. We had like <laughs> not. It wasn't a lot of like let's build up to some. It was like bam, we're we're running immediately, and yeah. And Susie was running towards us. Do you remember her big? Oh my god, I won't go into that, but. <laughs> I think the first cake, Susie, like, remember she, like, wiped it, and, like, we were, it was kind of an icebreaker. Um, but, yeah, it was, the whole thing was really intense. Oh, uh, Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that, too. I mean, it's a lot of movies now that, you know, there's, like, a big 20, uh, for the most part, I think the rule, the unwritten rule or whatever is, like, 20, maybe 25 if it's, like, really, really engaging, but if you have a 90 minute movie and like 25 or 30 minutes of that, nothing's happening. I mean, you know, the attention span now, there's so much product out there. There's so many films on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and and, and YouTube and, you know, or theatrical and television shows. There's there's so, there's no shortage of media out there. So if you have something out there, you know, you got to try to grab somebody right away. And I applauded them for for the short runtime. You know, when the movie's too long, you get a little nervous, and when it's too short, you get kind of nervous too. But um, I don't know. In my opinion, I think that they they nailed it. You know, for as best they yeah. could, especially with the budget. It was, it was a good yeah, it starts off. It's like okay, we meet. You know, the couple were in the woods, and then all of a sudden, bam, music hits, and it goes right into it, and it gives you a motor that doesn't really stop. Like, hopefully, <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. we felt it too, also. Yeah. It doesn't. It just kind of keeps going and, and going, and because you, you don't have time to lag and drag on about, you know, it's not loaded with a lot of, you know, nonsense backstory. I mean, everybody who's into the film and everybody, you know, reviews wise, and everybody who's talked to me about it and other people that I've seen say things about it, the people who are into it for what it is, like it. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, cool, thanks. You know, it was a nice little balls to the wall kind of movie there. You know, good kills, and that's really all you want in something like that. And when you go see a horror film slasher, that's what you're there for. Exactly. And how long was this film shoot? Because watching the film, it's like, wow, everything was so fast, so quick. From act one, it just went straight up and it didn't come down until the the ending credits. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How long did, were you asking how long we filmed? 
Yes. Um, it was a a week, right? Yeah. What was it? About seven days, something like that. Seven days, uh, I think. And then the I was on the lawn for about pickups. four. They did some other pickups without us. Wow, that's uh, that's that's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm I hate to be rude, but I'm gonna have to jump off because I have to go to a meeting. And I need to drive, and I got to get out of my house. Sure, not a problem. Um, okay. I'm so sorry for jumping off. It was really nice talking to you. Likewise. Okay. Well, have a great rest of your day, and um, yeah, just let me know where it is, and I'll share it around. Definitely, I'll let you know. Okay. Thanks so much. You're All right, sweet. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I've, uh, I have a couple of questions. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the as far as like the you were asking about the the shoot time, like how long it took to shoot the film. Yes. Yeah, like I said, it was like the original shoot was about seven days. I think I was on there for about four or five, and then it went into post, and then we all moved on to other things. And um, I know that they did some reshoots in between that they had a cut that did a couple small festivals um, and then they decided to uh, put some more money into it and do some more pickup shots and just to add it, you know, add more punch, like a lot of the shots, like some stuff in the beginning uh, and then some stuff toward the end too. There was a whole other ending that they cut out that was, uh, that didn't seem to work with test audiences. So they cut that and reshot it. You know, they, people, some, you know, nice surprise. I mean, of course people expected they want, you know, the somebody to win, the final girl, they wanted her to get away. And in the original right. one she doesn't she doesn't, so you know, they didn't like that. And which I understood. I mean I, I said that from day one. But uh but yeah, they you know, put some more money into it, juiced it up, added some more kills, and then um and the cut that's out now is is like pretty much unrated. And it's definitely a better cut than uh than the previous one for sure. So however long it took, yeah, probably about a year or a little over two years total, I'd say. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I guess I could close up with this question. Um, reading on your INDB, uh, one of the statements that you had mentioned was uh, your viewpoints on being typecasted. Uh, from a business perspective, uh, how do you approach your career as an actor and a stuntman and uh, choosing the roles or does the role choose you? Um, it, it depends, I think. Um, a lot of this, the past two or three projects that I've had, and then actually including one that I'm working on now um, called uh, Fury of the Dragon, There's uh, those are projects that I was contacted for. Um, if you're lucky enough, I think, to do a couple of things and people recognize them and they, they see him and they say, Hey, I, you know, I got this role for the, he would be perfect in this because, you know, I saw this movie and let's, you know, let's bring him in for that. So, I mean, I've had the, and in that case, the, the role definitely chooses me, you know, cause the casting director or producer or director will contact me and be like, like I said, like, Hey, you know, I really liked you in that, you know, do you want to, I have this role for you and they lay it out to you and, and, you know, of course, I'll take it. It's like uh, this, you know, this early in my career, I don't really know if the typecast thing has fit me yet, only because, 
you know, I've managed to do TV and, and movies and stuff like that, but um, never really, not yet had the chance to really kind of, and with the exception of One Night of Fear, I think that might be, as far as so far, that might be the only kind of good guy role that I've really played so far. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I've had the, and like I said, that was just complete. I had no, uh, no credentials really when they offered that to me. They were just like, you know, yeah, we think you could do this because we, we know you as a person. You, you could be, you know, you don't have to be the, the, the tough guy or, or anything like that, you know. And uh, to me, like I, like I said, and the quote that's up there that I made in the interview, I was like, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of things that are worse than being typecast and that's not cast. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> true. You know, when you're, when you're cast, you know, that's, that's when you get to work. So it's like, there's a part of me that would love to be the guy who, uh, you know, could just kind of hang around or lay out by the pool and, and, you know, get a phone call and just whenever somebody needs somebody who fits what I do or what I've done, they call, they pick up the phone and they call you. That's perfect. That's, there's nothing better than that. And it's really, it's, it's really flattering when, especially when, um, I've had the opportunity to work with multiple filmmakers. Uh, multiple times and like I said that's always the greatest it's like you work with them on one thing and then they call you back for something else and as an actor I think there's nothing better than that it's really rad that's absolutely true uh yeah uh thank you so much oh before I close out is there anything else is an open platform uh for you to share you know social networking where people could find one night of fear is the platform is open yeah, uh, One Night of Fear, for example, is up on Amazon. It's up on uh, Instant Video. It's available in HD, uncut, unrated. Uh, obviously, you can find that at Amazon.com. Uh, I'm also up on Instagram. I just recently started Instagram. I finally broke down and did it. You know, I was <laughs> it's on Facebook, and then I had to go to Twitter, and now I'm on. You know, everybody seems to be on Instagram, so I finally uh, I'm on there under actor Jimmy Dempster. And I try to get on there at least three, four times a week um, in between gigs. And then, um, like I said, right now, I'm shooting a film called The Last One, which should be out later on this year, as well as Fury of the Dragon. There's another film I'm doing now as well. Uh, that'll probably be out closer toward the uh, the middle of next year. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it as far as that goes right now. Great. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, for uh, connecting uh, Jessica with this uh, interview as well. Oh, absolutely, man. Anytime. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And best of luck to your future projects. Exclusive interview. Miles DeLeek. People say that God is a fiction, and a dangerous fiction at that nowadays. But the real danger is his obverse, the very real father of evil, the fallen one. Tell me, how long has Jewel been acting strangely? She's burdened. What? Kaylee, there's something attached to her.
On the 15th of September 2017, I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Miles Doliak in his upcoming film, Demons. Be sure to stop by dkmag.com, that is D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com, for our review on this supernatural thriller that draws emphasis on demonic possession. But of course, that's just on the surface. There's more to this story than demons and possessed individuals. Do check out the film. It's currently on Video On Demand, Amazon, I believe iTunes as well. I'm going to start off with a brief introduction. Uh, as I stated before, my name is DK Mag, and uh, this afternoon I am joined by Miles Doliak, uh, actor, director, and writer. And his upcoming film, Demons, is currently slated for video on demand release. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure. Great. I'm going to start off with an icebreaker. Uh, Demons is. This is your feature as a writer, director, and uh, you've transversed many genres. What piqued your interest to compose a supernatural horror film? Well, a lot of folks had been prodding me to write a horror film. And uh, my first two films, The Historian and The Hollow, uh, were, were very different, I think, uh, from, from this film. And, in a number of ways. One was uh, almost a chamber drama set in academia, the historian, and then uh, a crime thriller uh, with the hollow, sort of a southern noir crime thriller. Um, but I, I had wanted to write a horror film, uh, if, and a lot of people had been asking me about writing one, and for no other reason that horror is a very hot genre. It sells very well. Uh, and in indie film, it's always about you know, making enough money to, to make the next film. So um, uh, my partner in life in crime, Lindsay Ann Williams, and I had come up with a synopsis for this film. And uh, the synopsis got some traction with a really major distributor uh, who asked to see the script, ASAP. Well, I didn't have a script at the time. Uh, but the profile of this distributor meant, hey, I needed to sit down and write one um, forthwith. So I, I wrote the script in about a week and a half, the first draft of the script. And sent it off to said distributor, and uh, they wound up passing on it, which was perfectly fine because we landed with Uncork and, and Keith Leopard, who I had worked with on my previous feature, The Hollow. And Keith is really great and, and allows his filmmakers so much creative freedom. So, um, but it was really uh, a necessity, you know. I think it was a, a, a interesting exercise to be on this kind of timetable, where I knew I, I had to, you know, push this script out. And uh, I think it forced me to be maybe a bit more ruthless and judicious than I have been with previous scripts because I, I, I really like how it turned out. And, and what, what is ultimately on the screen is pretty close to the original. I mean, there are, we tweaked some things here and there, and, and some of my actors on set came up with some great moments that were not scripted. Uh, but the germ of the thing, the core of the thing, the, the, the overall frame is, is exactly what that first draft was. So um, pretty pleased with, with how it turned out. Oh, that is great. And that, uh, hearing uh, your transition into making this film, it seems like it's important. I've heard this before. 
that if you could pitch the idea and, and even though you don't have a script, that's what counts. And instead of having the script right there, if the idea sells, that's what uh, attracts attention. Oh, oh, completely. I mean, I, I think concept is everything. I mean, what's the hook, right? That's what, that's what marketing people, that's what distributors are looking for. They're looking for a hook. They're looking for an idea that is, is sexy and that, that's going to be marketable and, and that they can uh, push to a wide audience. And, and I, think this, I think the idea of this script, giving a little bit of a wrinkle on the exorcism genre, which I think makes the film from concept on uh, stand out from the herd a little bit. And I think that's what was, what was attractive about it initially. <clears throat> and uh, Demons delves into exorcisms and the classic battle between good and evil. Uh, please provide your insight on uh, your your artistic conversation with the audience on this particular topic. Well, one of the things that I, I think is fascinating about exorcism stories and exorcism movies is that it, they address these uh, ancient issues, huge cosmological issues that humanity has been wrestling with at time immemorial. And, and as you point out, one of those is the struggle between good and evil, and, and not only good and evil in the way of some potential outside forces, gods or spirits or, or nature or whatever it might be, but the internal conflict within ourselves between good and evil, right? Which is this psychological conflict about the very core of our being, who we are as human beings. And um, most human beings are, are some measure of gray. You know, there's, there's no real good guys and bad guys. It's just people somewhere on that spectrum who make good choices sometimes and bad choices uh, sometimes. So um, I think that this film cuts right to the heart of that issue. It, it, uh, it, it asks big questions about um, who we are and, and, and why, why we choose to do the things we do. It addresses the question of religion, which has always fascinated me especially uh, when narrowly focused, how it affects families, the psychology of children. Um, and uh, I think it, it's, a, it's a whole Pandora's box, you know, when, when you get into it. Um, and there are so many layers. Um, and and, and ri in writing this film, I think we had to sort of focus in on, on some very specific elements, um, which have to do with uh, the, the mark that is left um, when religious ideology is narrowly focused and, and applied, especially by the parents of Kaylee and Jewel, played by Andrew Deboff and, and Carolyn Baggerly. These are very conservative Christian people. They're, they're, on the surface at least, deeply pious, and they want their daughters to toe the line. You know, and uh, then you find out that um, maybe maybe that ideology was damaging not only to the children but to the parents as well. And uh, so it's a, it's a it's a big question and um, and one that I wanted to explore in this film. And hopefully uh, we've done so successfully. Yes, uh, uh, watching the film, I did notice that that conflict, uh, which is uh, just straight away and to tie into what you just said, um, 
the 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 misrepresentation of ideologies, people taking it, interpreting it too strictly, enforcing said rules and doctrines, it, it becomes oppressive as opposed to becoming guidance. Yeah. Yeah, I and, think that. I, yeah. Hmm? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go go ahead. No, I I think you're absolutely correct. Um, I, I think. You know, and that is really Colin and, and Kaylee's struggle in the film. Uh, I don't think these are, I think both of them are spiritual people, uh, but they both had to deal with the, the oppressive force of religion and religious ideology. Um, they're both searching for something. I think they both feel connected spiritually to, to one another and to, and to the universe in a, in a significant way, um, but they sort of they sort of pushed away or they've been directly affected and traumatized really by the oppressive force of religion, once again, narrowly applied. And so they're, they push themselves away from that and they're trying to sort of redefine what spirituality is. Um, and I think that makes both of those characters very interesting. Yes, it does. And in, in watching the film, what's obvious are the character's backstory. So stripping away the horror elements, does Demons, the film, serve as a story of self-reflection and forgiveness? I hope so. You know, I always begin with characters um, and the psychology of characters, um, and maybe to a fault. I, I know some critics think so. I spent, I spent a lot of time on characters. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the best movies do that. I, I want to know who these people are that we're going to spend a couple of hours with. I want to know everything I can about them. I want to know what makes them tick. And yes, that, that means spending some time with them. That means getting into their heads a little bit. That means knowing their history. I think that is so profoundly important for a successful film. And yes, I do think that there's a, there's a lot in this film about, about forgiveness, about redemption, about letting go uh, of, of the past. Um, but for me, that required really knowing who the players were. That required getting in Kaylee's head and Colin's head and Jasper's head um, and, and knowing who these people are at their very core. Um, and that takes a little bit of time. And I, I think that it, it's somewhat unfortunate that audiences nowadays have, they're just not very patient. Uh, there's a lot of fast food filmmaking going on out there. So, so when a film takes a little bit of time to introduce you to its world, to lure you into the story, to uh, allow you to just marinate in the characters and who they are for a little bit, um, sometimes audiences, you know, they just want to cut right to the chase. Uh, but I believe the payoff is so much better if you know who the players are uh, a bit more intimately. And that's, that's what I've done with all of my films and and, and this one in particular, which really plumps the psychology of a number of characters. Right, right. And uh, touching on that, uh, there are many films, especially in the horror genre, uh, that delve into exorcism, supernatural themes, and as you had mentioned, they're pretty direct, fast-paced. Do you feel there's an absence of character-driven narratives, and does Demon fill this void? 
Um, I think that I think that a character-driven narrative uh, can can succeed in in any genre, and and I think if, if you look at even if you look at a film like The Exorcist, okay, you you know we we find out quite a bit about Ellen Burstyn's character. We 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 find uh, out quite a bit about Max von Sydow's character, and there's uh, this long prelude of Max von Sydow's character in Iraq. And we get, we kind of get to know who he is. He's an archaeologist and a scholar as well as being a priest. Um, so it's not just a um, you know wham bam kind of film. I mean, it that movie takes its time to 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 you know suck you into the world of the film and the and the character. And you know, Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist, she's this actress who's on top of the world and everyone's fawning over her and then suddenly all the all the trappings of her fame and her celebrity mean absolutely nothing because she's completely lost control of the situation with her daughter who's possessed and she's absolutely helpless. And that's her journey in that film from from being this celebrity figure who has people, you know, worshiping at her feet to having absolutely no control over the situation whatsoever is absolutely critical to that's the exorcist. So, I, you know, that's, that's obviously a classic film and probably will always be the greatest film in the exorcism genre. Uh, but make no mistake, it, it takes its time, right? It's not suddenly, you know, uh, Reagan is, you know, vomiting green vomit and, and walking like a spider on the stairs, right? It, it takes <laughs> some time to get to that point. Right, right. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> and um, you also star in in Demons. You portray the the role of Colin. Uh, was this a role that you had specifically set for yourself, as opposed to uh, Jasper Grant or Eddie or Father Joseph Moran? Um, mo- most of the time when I'm sitting and writing a script, because I I really do see myself as an actor first and foremost. I I do write some role in the show with with the idea that I will play it. And it doesn't always turn out that way. I mean, I I wrote in my second film, The Hollow, I wrote the character of Vaughn for myself, and I wound up playing Ray, and, and the wonderful James Callis wound up playing Vaughn. So it, it doesn't always play out the way I, I'm thinking about it when I'm writing the script. I did write this script, though, uh, with the notion of playing Colin, um, and uh, and and as it turned out, I, I did obviously. I, I think that um, he's he's an interesting character. I've, I've I've always been fascinated with the idea of what what kind of mind, what kind of person commits themselves to something like the priesthood. Um, what, what kind of passion or or intention uh, is behind that? Um, because it's a it's you know it's a vocation. It's a it's a kind of calling in a way. Um, and then Colin is, a, a, in the course of the film, of course, repelled by that choice and, and leaves the priesthood. So I, uh, his, um, his, his choices uh, were, were ones that I just found very interesting and, and I thought was something I wanted to explore as an actor. And, uh, and as it turned out, I had the great fortune to do that. But as an independent filmmaker, looking at it from a producer standpoint, uh, you know, we're always trying to lure names. We're always trying to lure people that are going to elevate our film, that are going to 
uh, give it the widest audience possible. So we, we always hold out the possibility that if some name comes along, we have the opportunity to plug somebody in that has more profile than me, then I'm, I'm absolutely game to do that. But I, I, I am very glad that I got to play Colin in this film. Yeah, as, as, uh, he, he's a character, you know, audiences can connect. He's a very refined gentleman. He looks like he's very cultured. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> uh, writing demons, what are your points of view on the topic of the supernatural? Skeptic, curious, so this is purely imaginative for entertainment purposes. Um, that's a great question. Um, I am. I am someone who uh, has a, a degree in, in, in ancient religion. I, I have a PhD uh, from Tulane University in the great city of New Orleans. So, uh, and, and my primary area of emphasis is early Christianity. So I thought about these things for a long time and read about them and taught on them. And um, I, I guess I would say I, I don't discount anything at this point. Um, there are, there are so many things about this world we inhabit that that we don't fully understand. Uh, there's so many things about the human mind that we don't fully understand. Uh, so I think we have to keep our, our eyes wide and our minds open when it comes to those forces outside ourselves that we can't can't fully you know put our put our minds around. Um, I I do think that though at the end of the day that it's important to remember that there is a there is a historical context to these matters. You know, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was a, a historical figure, walked around in a specific place at a specific time, and uh, with a very specific message, a message that a lot of people found dangerous, um, namely the. The, the people who had all the money, that is, the temple elites and the Roman authorities, um, it was a subversive message. It was a message that, that spoke to the marginalized and the bereft and those who were on the outside, the outskirts of society, those, those who were being kept at arm's length uh, by the powerful. And, uh, and I, that imbues a bit of the story here in Demon, that, that perspective uh, for me of, of who, who he was in that specific place and time, um, because the character of Jewel, for example, she, she has suffered, she has been abused, she has um, been judged, and, and whatever's going on with her, whether it's a, a possession or psychological break, and, and, and I don't, I didn't, I want the audience to decide, I guess, what's going on, but whatever it is, I think it, it stems directly from the sense of being um, being marginalized, being being uh, not being accepted, uh, not being allowed to be who she was and to explore her feelings as a 17-year-old girl growing up in rural Louisiana, not being able to express herself, and 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 that that oppression has specifically led to whatever's happening with her in this film, um, and so it was that for me is something that is really at the core of what Demons is. What was your drive in shifting from actor to now writing and directing your own films? Well, initially it was predicated on my desire to 
provide myself more and better opportunities as an actor and just to just to make opportunities for myself rather than having to wait on somebody else to open a door for me or to say that I was worthy or good enough to be in their movie or their television show. Um, I was in Louisiana in the wake of Katrina uh, when the production boom happened and when, when film production really invested in South Louisiana. And uh, I had the good fortune to work with some wonderful independent filmmakers, inspiring independent filmmakers. And I saw what they were doing and pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and creating opportunities for themselves. And, and I said, you know, hey, this is what I need to be doing. I need to stop waiting around for uh, that dream role to come my way and just write it myself uh, and make my own films. And when I decided to do that, when I committed to do that, uh, a number of other opportunities started cropping up. And I got offers to do shows on HBO and A&E and all these other things. So I, I think that when when you stop being desperate and when you stop needing them to to give you approval, uh, you become a different kind of thing as an actor. You become more comfortable in your own skin. You can walk in a room or step in front of the camera and say, "This is who I am." And and if you like it, great. If you don't, that's fine too. And uh, I think that that mentality uh, or that posture helped me to get uh, a number of roles, not only the roles I was writing for myself, but, but all these opportunities in, in other films and television shows. Uh, that's, that, that's very inspiring. Uh, to take from that is like, you, you have to set your own path and just ignore the naysayers and all the negativity, just move on forward. The, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to have rhinoceros skin in this business. The fact is you cannot please, all the people all the time. You can barely please some of the people some of the time. Um, but you might inspire a few people. You might change a few hearts and minds with your work. Hopefully you do. Hopefully you make the world just a little bit better uh, than it was before. Um, and and that's, you know, that's, that's why I do it. That's why we, we keep pressing forward. Uh, that's why I was absolutely relentless in bringing these three features to life and, and one short, uh, two birds, over the course of the past four years. And I've been very heartened by the reception of them. Of course, sure, there are haters out there uh, who ain't going to like anything you do. But, um, but the fact of the matter is, um, you know, if you have something to say, you got to get out there and you got to say it. And the people who matter uh, are going to listen. And, okay. and that's, that's some comfort. Exactly. That's absolutely true. Uh, I always believe do what you do what you love with a passion because it's, it's not a job. It's, it's, it's a passion. And, and everyone is set on earth for a specific reason. And if you're, you're want to be a performer and director, go right ahead and do it. Right. Absolutely. Um, pursue it. Pursue it with the, the deepest passion of your heart. You have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as a representative of the arts, what are certain affirmations newcomers into this field should take into consideration? Um, I think it's important to understand that at the end of the day, um, you just have to be willing to put yourself out there, regardless of the consequences. You have to be willing to fall flat on your face, regardless of the response. You have to be willing to take a risk. Uh, if you have to do this, if you have to be an actor or a dancer or a singer or a writer or a director to stay alive, 
than get out there and make make some horrible mistake uh, because the worst thing you can possibly do is not try because of fear or because you're afraid of what people might think. Um, you, you have to make your own opportunities. And, and when you start making those opportunities and kicking those doors down, people will notice. Uh, and other opportunities will come your way. That's, that was absolutely my experience. And it, it is certainly true that some people might give you the side eye and some people might say, you know, what the hell is that person's problem and whatever, how, how arrogant or whatever. But at the end of the day, if it's the deepest passion of your heart, you pursue it and you pursue it relentlessly uh, until, you know, somebody's holding you down with a whip and a chair and won't let you do it anymore. And even then, you, you press on. Um, but you have to be willing to uh, fall flat on your face in this business. And you certainly will. And hopefully every mistake that you make is a learning experience and you get better and you become more inured to criticism um, and you become a better artist and you refine your voice and hopefully you, you, you bring something beautiful into the world in doing so. Exactly. Yes. I always believe in that. Uh, it, no matter across the board, any type of business, uh, sometimes people fear uh, failure, but failure is learning, and that's the only way you're going to progress forward. Absolutely true. No question about it. Exclusive interview Richard Roundtree. Islander. Yep, born and raised. Presenting your folks. A funeral, actually. Mum said Megan fell from the cliffs. How sad that so young a person should lose her life in coming to the aid of a lowly animal. Stop staring. They've been through enough already. I still don't know what she was doing out there, Father. I signed the death certificate myself. Horrible business. Barely recognizable. On the 16th of September 2017, I had the opportunity to have an early morning, afternoon interview with Richard Rountree and his upcoming film, Dogged, is in film festival circulation. We have covered Dogged for uh, over two years already since 2016 when the crowdfunding campaign for Dogged was first launched. We also covered the teaser trailer that was released, the trailer, and of course we have a review of the film. Visit DKMag.com for our opinion on this psychological thriller based in the UK and the story is based on folklore horror. That would be the equivalent as Mr. Roundtree puts it, to urban legends here in the States, in the United States. So be sure to check out the film. Once it comes out, no distribution date has been set yet, but Mr. Roundtree does provide the dates and locations for the film festival run. Okay. My name is Ken Artuz. Founder and editor for DKMag.com and joining me this morning slash this afternoon 
is Richard Roundtree, director, he's a director and a producer, and his latest film project, Dogged, is uh, currently in film festival circulation. Uh, thank you for joining me, Mr. Roundtree. Hello, good morning, good afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to open up by saying Dogged is a film we've been covering uh, here at DK Mag for the past couple of years. And I'm going to read an excerpt for our first article. Uh, in 2016, the four-minute horror film is currently screening in the film festival circuit. Dog also earned a high ranking within the BBC's film competition titled The Fear. The competition was a selective process to discover up-and-coming horror directors. Richard Roundtree's Dog earned fifth place out of 500 entries. That was back in 2016 when we wrote that. So what has been the journey in bringing Dog into fruition? Um, so, yeah, so uh, once we'd um, done the short, we um, put it out to a few festivals um, uh, and we, we got quite a lot of selections. Fantastic. And we won a, a couple of awards as well. Um, so we were really pleased with that. And we all the time that this was kind of going on, we... Um, we were discussing between us, um, the, the four producers, uh, Matt Davies, Lee Wignall, Chris Falser and myself, kind of how the short film was a, uh, it was always meant to be a snippet from a much bigger story. Um, there was supposed to have been something that happened before and something that was supposed to have happened afterwards. So we kind of already had a, a basis of an idea um, uh, for a feature film. So we sat down and, and we kind of, over a period of about eight months, uh, we sat down and did sort of 19 drafts. Um, uh, and when we when we were happy with it, we decided to launch a crowdfunding campaign, um, uh, which we did on Kickstarter. And we, we yeah, we made our money. Then we went into pre-production for maybe four or five months. Um, then we shot it over weekends for uh, over a period of about four months, uh, and then spent maybe three months doing post-production, and and then you know submitted to a load more festivals and, and and we're just kind of starting to hear back from them now uh, and and getting our reviews in which has been great that's wonderful uh especially the transition uh seeing how it's developed from an idea to a short film to a full feature film that's uh, that's amazing oh thank you yeah <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a really fun journey and and one that we've i think we've all kind of learned a lot on the way uh, about how how difficult making a feature is, and also, you know how easy it can be in some ways as well. Um, uh, you know, you just kind of it seems like a big thing that you know is it, kind of terrifying for a lot of filmmakers. You know, the first feature, but you know, if you go out and do it, then then at least you've done it, and that kind of the first time is over, and the second time, I guess, it gets easier, and you learn more every time you do it. Exactly. And then uh, back in March 2015, just as you have stated, uh, the Kickstarter campaign successfully was successful and raised 15,000 £15, pounds, which is uh, $20,000 US. Uh, so how influential was this process in getting the community to help bring this project to life as opposed to shopping your idea for investors? Well, so, yeah, I mean, I you know, I was kind of... I. <laughs> I didn't think that I'm sorry. I know a number of filmmakers, right. Who, who kind of have a really great script or a really great pitch. And, and 
you know they spend two three years kind of hawking it around investors trying to encourage people you know to, to to give them the money to do it and and what they find is that even if they do get that money which which kind of isn't actually that often they go out and they make the film and and they feel like they're not making it for themselves they feel like they're making it for somebody else because one individual or two individuals have put all the money in and they want to say in kind of you know the final cut of the film and you know oh, i think you should be cast in this person or you know there's, there's a lot of interference you know the way we did it was fantastic because we had we had 211 different people all putting in money you know ranging from from one pound to five thousand pounds and and you know when we got to make the film we didn't feel like we were making it for somebody we didn't feel like there was somebody looking over our shoulder uh, all the time and saying you know you should be doing this or we want you to do this or we think you should cast the blonde girl instead of the brunette girl or you know so it, you know it was really a liberating experience and and although it was hard work raising that money it it, it was a really worthwhile thing to do um in order to to kind of retain the integrity of the project as much as anything else yeah that that is so true and that the holds well we focus on horror so i'll just touch on that genre it's true in the horror genre because you know lately you, you want your vision to come up forward and you have to put in the hard work that's what counts and then when you do you when you're passionate about something the audience would appreciate it more yeah i agree yeah uh, do you see crowdfunding sources as a way to gain exposure in addition to gaining uh, uh, that financial boost? Sorry, Ken, um, the signal was not great. Can you say that again? Uh, do you see crowdfunding sources as a way to gain exposure in addition to getting that financial boost? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so, you, you know, you even if people don't pledge, you know, or back your project on, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or Seed and Spark or whatever you use, the fact is that you're already building that audience, like you say, you know, so people might, you know, see a project and, and think, oh, you know, it's kind of only got 10% of its goal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pledge to it. But then, you know, they kind of take their eye off it and it gets funded and the film gets made. And these people have already seen, they already know the title. They've maybe already seen the poster or the artwork, you know, or they're familiar with the project in some way. So, yeah, I think, I think the, the crowdfunding community is very loyal um, uh, in so much as that, you know, they'll follow things through. If, if you know, if you're honest and, and you provide all the rewards that you said you were going to provide, you know, those people will stick with you and, and hopefully help you out again with the next one as much as anything else. Yeah, that's 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 so great about the technology that we have these days. Uh, a few years ago, you wouldn't have this, but now everybody's just one community connected with uh, tablets and mobile phones. It's amazing. Yeah, and and I think that you know the horror community as well are very loyal um, to each other. You know, there's there, there's a, a real kind of hardcore of people out there who you know want to help other horror filmmakers or other you know horror artists or you know whatever it is it's, it's you know there's the, there's this loyalty there with these guys that you know kind of almost the, the the idea is you know there's no such thing as bad horror as long as people are making it you know other people will watch it or in, you know engage with it that is so true 
And I'm going to read another excerpt from another article that we did uh, in which I wrote, Principal photography will last 18 days. Filming will be on location in key sites within the UK. Osea Island in Essex is one of the confirmed locations. Uh, Were these locations uh, key into the story? And how were they chosen to help elevate the narrative? Yeah, so I mean, Osea Island is um, uh, a tidal island uh, in the the Blackwater Estuary uh, in Essex, and um, it's it's a place where I'd actually been to work on um, a film called The Woman in Black, uh, which is a Hammer movie with Daniel Radcliffe, um, and it's it, it was remarkable. And what was remarkable about it was that I, you know, I don't live that far away from it, and I'd never heard of it. So it's an island um, that's kind of, I think it's about a thousand acres uh, in size, so like a thousand football fields in size. Uh, and it's it's cut off from the mainland uh, most of the time. You can get on and off for a period of about two hours twice a day. Uh, and there's this kind of really windy, long causeway uh, that you can get on and off. And it, it worked perfectly for the story because we needed to isolate the community in the story, but we also wanted them to have access to, to kind of the mainstream, uh, lifestyle. So <clears throat> having a tidal Island rather than somewhere where we needed a boat, which also would have been <laughs> crazily expensive to, to start hiring a boat and so on. So this worked really well for us. Um, uh, there's, there's, you know, uh, quite a few scenes in them, the church and the pub as well. And they're both really, really old buildings. And that was important for me because I wanted to kind of reinforce the the idea that what's happening in the community of the film has been going on for a really long period of time. You know, it's not something that's just kind of happened overnight. It's not just, you know, these guys have suddenly gone crazy. Uh, but, you know, it's come in, ingrained in their, their kind of community. Right, I I did sense that when I when I saw the film, I say, wait a second, this thing, this secret has been buried, you know, for a long time, and this is yeah. just one part of the tale of of a currently existing situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was the first feature for Ash Mountain Films, and given yeah. that this location is, uh, as you described, were there any, uh complications along the way and what lessons were learned now to prepare for the next full feature <laughs> so that i think the main lesson that we learned uh we, we kind of had a debrief amongst the producers uh when the movie was kind of done and dusted and finished and we, you know we sat down and kind of talked about what we definitely would do and definitely would wouldn't do so we <laughs> one thing we would do is definitely buy a, a, a you know like a unit truck um, something where we can move all the stuff around and uh, keep it in there even you know if, if if you're shooting at weekends borrowing vans and things is really a, a nightmare because you you were going we were going on a friday night and having to uh, take all the stuff out of a, a garage a garage and um, load it up into the van use it over the weekend then on a sunday night when we'd finish shooting go back empty it all out again return the van that was a nightmare so definitely we were we would buy a van or rent a van for the whole period of time um definitely we wouldn't attempt unit moves we, we we had a number of days where we had you know two or three locations to try and shoot at in one day and um trying to move the 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 quantity of people and the catering and the costumes and everything else is is a real 
killer. <laughs> wow. Wow. Catering involved too. That. You, you, you guys well, had a full you production. Know, you say catering, but it's kind of, yeah, it was two tables with, with you know, kind of um, sandwiches and, and cups of tea and coffee and, and things like that. That was the extent of the catering. But <laughs> it still was a lot of effort to move it each time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, that does um, take up time to, to pack the van and everything. Um, yeah, it was. It, I, there, there were a lot of people who had very bad backs, very sore backs at the end of the uh, the period of shooting. <laughs> <laughs> all, f all for the name of the project. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, dog is it's currently in film festival circulation. Uh, what is the next move after this? You have any plans to shop it for distribution? Yeah, so I mean, I you know we're we're obviously putting the the movie out to a number of festivals. Um, uh, we've had quite a lot of acceptances so far, which is great, and and hopefully some more to come. Um, uh, in terms of distribution, I mean, you know, if somebody wants to distribute it, it would be great, and and you know, I'd love to hear from them and have a chat with them about it. Uh, failing that, you know, the, the self distribution routes are something we've we've kind of been looking into as well um uh, and given that you know we've done an awful lot of the kind of publicity and advertising ourselves um so far i don't think it would be such a bad thing to try and go down that route that would be an, an another lesson learned and in, in, in evolving the company exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the narrative uh dog as i had described in my review is a psychological thriller uh, yep. Was this the quote-unquote genre you were aiming for? Well, so, yeah, I mean, so, I, and I'm not sure it's so prevalent in the States, but the, the kind of, the, the guidelines that we've kind of been looking at in terms of, you know, sticking to a genre were, were that of folk horror, which kind of was a, 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 a kind of subgenre that had its, you know, heyday in the, the kind of 60s and 70s in the UK. Um with things like the wicker man and blood on satan's claw and um you know it recently it's been kind of making a comeback with movies like kill list and a field in england um and it's it it's kind of there's there's this deeply entrenched kind of uh neolithic spirituality almost uh in the in the the, the british isles that we have which kind of you know encompasses things like stonehenge and uh, I don't know if you know what Morris dancers are, but kind of it's, it's a weird kind of thing where these guys, you know, have handkerchiefs and they dance with bells on them to ward off evil spirits. And you see them in the summer. They come to uh, the, the, the gardens of pubs and things like that to do displays. And there's kind of that that kind of pagan element uh, here still, which which people kind of relate to somewhat. And. So, yeah, so the folk horror thing was trying to tap into that a little bit where there's this kind of slightly skewed, perhaps religious beliefs um, uh, and the kind of very old fashioned uh, patriarchal kind of system of, of, you know, the men being in charge and, and, you know, the kind of women being very, very subservient to them. And, and of course, you know, we tried to flip that on the head in, in the movie itself. So. Uh, very interesting so that would explain i noticed on the film it has a, a a color filter and i was saying it looks vintage in a way that's what you were aiming for with your explanation yeah hopefully yeah i mean um you know i say it's 
it, it's kind of one of those, I, I guess the closest thing you have to it in the States as a, as a kind of a younger country, as it were, is, um, you know, kind of the urban legends. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and it's, it's kind of almost like that, but if, if, you know, if you can imagine those urban legends, you know, instead of, you know, I think in most of the, the urban legends I've heard from the States, you know, it's kind of, you know, it happened to a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, in this, in the sixties or the seventies or what have you, if you can kind of, you know, imagine in the UK, we kind of have a similar sort of thing, but saying, you know, it happened 500 years ago or 700 years ago, you know, there's this kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it particularly, but it's um, kind of a recurring theme that, that just constantly happens, you know, throughout time. Uh, where, where kind of people aren't there. It's almost a fairy story in, in a way, which is one of the reasons that, you know, we chose that particular grade uh, to the to the colors. Very interesting. Um, and the characters, uh, they're, they're what made the story develop, uh, not into an action sense, but each of them had a tale to tell. It's, it was almost like a soap opera, but in a good way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you think these characters resonate with audiences um well uh, yeah i think they like you say they've kind of all the characters are very different and um the, the, the that kind of allusion to to a soap opera is is fairly close um to what we were going for in that you know we, we didn't want to make it too melodramatic but and a number of reviewers in the uk have actually pointed this out that we used to have this tradition on a, a, a Sunday evening uh, on the BBC. They used to have kind of an hour and a half or a two-hour drama um, uh, that was, you know, not necessarily, you know, horror or anything like that. But it was kind of, a, you know, a two-hour kind of drama that the whole family could sit down and watch. And the characters were, were well-rounded and you know it it didn't matter what the genre of that particular play of the week sort of thing was you know the whole family could sit down and watch it and that was something that we were you know consciously trying to replicate uh, in a sense because that was something that we had all grown up with um uh, as as producers and writers and seeing those kind of things were, were had stuck with us a lot more than perhaps you know hollywood blockbusters because the characters were so well-rounded uh and and much more memorable so yeah it's um i'm taking it as quite a compliment anyway thank you that that you feel like that about the characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i mean uh from i would say from the midpoint from act one once the story started to unfold you say okay we have the protagonist he has his story and his girlfriend, she has another story. It's like, wow. And then everything just builds and builds and builds. Is, is that, that I enjoy that type of filmmaking. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we exchanged emails. And in the email, uh, you described how, you know, I'm paraphrasing. You described how some critics missed the point to the overall theme for Dog. Uh, why do you feel this sentiment is? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I think in as much as I was saying about kind of the, the horror uh, community being very loyal, they also can be quite damning. I mean, a lot of uh, the, the, the horror community only will have blinkers on and, and you know, they particularly like a certain type of film. So which is, you know, a kind of a movie that's 80 to 90 minutes long. Uh, it's going to have lots of blood in it. Uh, it's going to be very fast paced. 
um you know there's probably going to be topless girls in it you know it's it's kind of following those formulas um uh, which which kind of screamed it's such a great parody of you know they've kind of you know, whereas Scream kind of, you know, identified what had happened in the 80s and the kind of early 90s and, and, and quantified that within it. There's been, you know, since probably 2000, there's been a, a kind of a different type of film, which is one where it is, it's, it's almost cheap thrills, um, uh, you know, jump scares and and loud bangs and things like that, which, which yeah, OK, they're, 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 they're great for the moment. Um, uh, but as soon as your your heart heart rate goes back to normal you you don't remember it um so it's yeah perhaps yeah i think like you said you know kind of a psychological thriller is probably a better way to describe it than uh, an out and out horror and i think i think expectations when you say something's a horror film nowadays people do think oh it's going to be you know all of those things kind of teenagers running around in the woods making really bad decisions being chased by some kind of monster and yeah our film is definitely not that <laughs> although there is running around in the woods <laughs> yeah I was, I was about to say there's some running around in the woods uh, but you know over the course of my uh my time covering horror uh i've noticed that in england there seems to be a a, a constant theme of more filmmakers coming from england and from the uk they focus on character driven uh, narratives and as opposed yep. to the US we go for the bang bang explosions and blood and guts yeah and I think you know maybe that's that goes back to something kind of that's deeper in the the psyche of you know the the communities of, of those countries I mean it's um you know you guys you guys uh, probably had your kind of you know to 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 quantify it's something like um the texas chainsaw massacre the original is kind of almost a folk horror there's a lot of folk horror elements in there there's this kind of fear of the unknown of of how communities develop outside of the the kind of mainstream and and what texas chainsaw massacre did so well was kind of combine the 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 the, the well-rounded characters again um, uh, and certainly very interesting characters with that kind of slightly more, you know, graphic approach um, uh, to, to seeing things, um, which we didn't necessarily do in the UK because, you know, either we didn't have the budgets or the expertise. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about what scares you as an audience. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it is very different, I think, different experience in the States to the UK. Mm, that's so true. Um the crime committed in in the film in the narrative dog uh the mysteries of a, of a murder surrounds a little girl uh so can you please provide some insight on how you used this loss of innocence as a psychological lure for for the audience yeah so i mean um the 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 whole thing with um uh, the girl megan uh, in the story is that you know, she she has the same level of innocence that Sam almost has in that, you know, he doesn't know any of this, what's going on on the island. Uh, he's left the island to go off to, to university and is kind of completely oblivious to, to the actuality of what he's been brought up in and, and what his parents are kind of involved with. And um, it is 
almost with with the character of Megan, it's almost like you know she's at that stage as well but you know she's obviously found out what's going on and and we just wanted to highlight that these people were kind of you know so secretive and so insular that they were prepared to to kill a little girl just to to keep her quiet um which you know is yeah i you know being a father of two little girls myself obviously i couldn't think of anything that would be more brutal or you know, horrible to watch than, than that. So that's kind of, yeah, one of the reasons why we, we chose that kind of look of innocence that she's got as well. You know, it's a resignation to, to not being able to escape, which I think is uh, frightening whoever the victim is. Yes. And one of the, one of the attractive things for this film is how you use the camera angles to convey the story. And in one scene in particular, we see, uh, you see this young girl, Megan, she's trying to escape. And the way you place the camera, because when she feels defeated, I mean, I personally, when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, man, you, it's heartfelt. Like, can you describe <laughs> some, how you gave these intricate angles? I mean, they, they, they were genius. Oh, thank you very much. Well, I mean, so I think, you know, with, with um, uh, kind of, you know, particularly low budget filmmaking, you, it's really important to beforehand because you need to know uh, and, and the whole team who's working on it need to know what you're going to do. You know, you don't have time to mess about um, uh, and waste time at different locations thinking, well, how am I going to do this? You know, so while we wouldn't always necessarily know exactly how we were going to do it, we always know you know yes we have to have this close-up or we have to have this wide shot to establish the scene or you know and 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 we kind of figured those things out as we got to the locations each morning you know where we were going to do certain things and if problems were going to come up how we were going to deal with them um uh i i have to say that um my drawing is atrocious it's really bad and i ended up doing stick figures uh for the storyboard most of the time which um kind of drew uh, quite a lot of uh, comedy uh, from from the the crew who uh, I think one of them Matt Wagner who's our stills photographer uh, kind of sarcastically said to me one day that I should go and work for Marvel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's really important, and I would say you know you you you, do, you have to have this whole idea even when you're writing the story of of how things are going to look and why certain parts of the story have an impact you know which you know particularly with the megan uh, element of it we what i will say about it is we were so lucky abigail who plays megan she's you know just such an amazingly talented young actress um uh, and she was you know she was with us for a lot of hours uh, on that particular day and and the shot that you see where she kind of almost slightly looks to camera was the very last thing we shot with her that day. And it was, uh, as, as much as it's powerful in the story, it was also a slight look at me through the camera saying, okay, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, but that, that was a nice scene. That's one of the standout scenes for me. Another, another Thank standout you. scene was when we see <coughs> firsthand the use of uh, practical effects uh, during a sacrifice. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, so the film goes from a psychological thriller it's nice and calm and all of a sudden boom we have this visual yeah yeah it was uh it was an interesting one to do and um uh yeah i mean we i think up until that point in the story we'd kind of 
as you said with the characters you know they're kind of you think that there's something wrong with them here and and you know you're perhaps maybe feeling ever so slightly confused about whether or not to be sympathetic to them still because you kind of don't understand quite you know how they're being governed and and where they're coming from and and you see that and you realize that you know the the guy who's in charge here is just batshit mental and this is it you know he's <laughs> he really is crazy so now now i know the kind of the line is drawn in the sand i know who i'm rooting for now <laughs> right uh i was not expecting that and and, and i gotta give it to it. that's that was a very nice scene because it was so subtle and in the violence it wasn't over the top it was just subtle in a way that it, it carried well with the story good oh, i'm glad you enjoyed it it was uh, that was another fun one to shoot <laughs> Yeah, and, that, <laughs> uh, and and to close out um the way the film ends uh what what are we seeing here uh you, you're going to leave the narrative as is or it will there be some type of short or another continuation of this film well so it was it was kind of um it's funny you know a few people in reviews have kind of said oh you know we need to see a sequel now and um what I would say is, and this is the honest truth, there was we never wrote that or shot it with the intention of uh, kind of you know wanting to lead into a sequel. Um, uh, that that might be hard to believe, but it's it's the honest truth. And we, the the reason we shot that that last scene is because we just felt like everything in the world of these characters by the end of this film has completely turned you know on its head, and. Uh, you know why shouldn't we do this and and just get people walking out of of the theater or you know turning off the tv thinking to themselves you know what i i kind of i don't really understand it but i'm terrified by you know the implications of it <laughs> right right uh, i would as i said that i was not expecting to say okay some something else is up their sleeve the way this play, with this film ended <laughs> well yeah i say honestly there was there was no intention to uh, to go into a sequel but you know I, I kind of i can see how it would now you know from an outside point of view how how that would look like that was what we'd intended all along <laughs> <laughs> uh, well now the uh, the platform is open uh if you care to share you know social networking platforms and where audiences can catch dog uh screening sure so we um the world premiere of the film is at the shauna shea film festival which is in southbridge in massachusetts um uh, which is the 5th of october uh then after that we are going to be at the san antonio horrific film festival in texas uh the 21st of october um, we are at the RIP Horror Film Festival in Los Angeles, I think, which is the I think the 10th to the 13th of November. Uh, we are closing night film at the Glasgow Horror Film Festival, uh, the 5th of November in Scotland. And we just found out yesterday we are at the uh, Luska Fantastic Film Festival, which used to be the Puerto Rico Horror Film Festival. And I think that runs from the 18th of October to the 8th of November. Uh, we've got one more festival screening, but I can't announce it just yet, unfortunately. Um, uh, and then, yeah, hopefully there'll be a few more. But if you follow us on Facebook, it's um, uh, Dog at the Movie. Um, 
uh, Facebook as well. Um, sorry, Twitter. Dogged the movie, um, and then at Ash Mountain Films, um, and then Instagram. I think again is at Dogged underscore the underscore movie. Great, thank you. Uh, I'm sure audiences once it comes out uh, in a film festival run. I'm, I'm hoping a lot of audiences would would get the gist of the film, absorb it for what it is, and as we discussed, you know, it's it's a psychological thriller. It's a different kind of horror. Brilliant. Yeah, I hope people enjoy it. Definitely. And thank you for your time uh, on this Saturday afternoon slash morning for this interview. <laughs> it's been brilliant speaking with you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Television. BET releases the last one. BET has announced its first ever original scripted horror series, The Last One. The five episodes, the five episode series launches Friday, October 13th, exclusively on BET.com, with cameos by singer and television personality Ray J and rapper Casey Casey Davis. Uh, Ray J and Casey Bages uh, will make cameos in the series along newcomer Stephen Barrington as Cameron, Trevon Davis as Rashawn, Morgan uh, Alexandra as Aisha, Perry Camper as Gabby, and Kirk Brown as the Hitchhiker from the press release. BET Digital is set to enter the horror arena with the launch of its first ever original scripted horror series, The Last One. Four friends, Gabby, Rashawn, Aisha, and Cameron get stranded on the side of the road. While waiting for help, they talk about the ghost stories and urban legends that terrify them as children. For Rashawn, it was Bloody Mary. For Cameron, it was the Boogeyman. For Aisha, the scary story of the hitchhiker who wanted more than just a ride. Finally, a good Samaritan officer, or finally a good Samaritan offers to help them with their car and they follow him back to his house, but he is not who he appears to be. Find out who will be the last one to survive this horror-filled experience when the last one premieres on Friday the 13th in October, exclusively on BET.com. <clears throat> now, Ken, what did you uh, think about this? Uh, it looks like, I mean, does this sound like it will be more of a spoof? Well, in my opinion, this this sounds more like an anthology series because you have a group of friends sharing stories and it seems like each story would be an episode and the overall theme of this story would be the part that they get picked up by a supposedly good Samaritan and that would tie in all the stories together into one theme now that's my that's that's how I take it by reading the synopsis I, I like it I enjoy it I mean BET should have should have done a horror film or a horror series a long time ago I don't know why it's taken them this long to create an original content. Well, I think, well, this was a, an original um, from BET, but there was a film that uh, aired on BET 
I believe, and it was called uh, Somebody Help Me, wasn't it with um, Amarion and Marcus Houston, right? I never heard Didn't of that LBT one. Some years ago? No, I never heard of that one. No. When did this air? Hmm. That's that's new to me. Yes. Well, um, somebody helped me was with uh, Amari and Marcus Houston, and I do believe it, it aired on BET, but it wasn't like an original content from BET. So I think. Um, I mean, that section had some poor movies on there, but I agree that you say that it's now about time that they release an original script for series. Exactly. You know, I'm all for, I mean, in, in my opinion, the horror scene has been generating, uh, the stage has not been set for Latinos or African Americans to be on the forefront in creating horror content as directors it's important oh, and screenwriters in fact it's important to project your ideas and and you know to break the mold it's, and get Hollywood's attention I mean there are so many talented artists out there directors screenwriters actors and this reinforces BET should have done this a long time ago I mean if they would have presented original horror content before let's say MTV did it would have made a it would have made a higher impact but since MTV did it and you have all these other channels doing it it feels like BET is playing catch-up that yeah and and that's not the way it's supposed to be uh, lead with good ideas hopefully they could do uh, uh, an original thriller or an original sci-fi content. I mean, just take a page out of sci-fi and what they present and look at it, make it better. Yeah, that's my opinion on that. Rotten Tomatoes rates American Horror Story opener episodes. Rotten Tomatoes give a snapshot of the overall rating figures of American Horror Story franchise, including the latest season. Uh, for the seasons, uh, Murder House Season 1 is at 74%. Asylum Season 2 is at 84%. Coven Season 3 is at 85%. Freak Show Season 4 is at 79%. Hotel Season 5 is at 63%. Roanoke Season 6 is at 78%. And Caught Season 7 is at 74%. And for the season premieres, uh, Season 1 premiere is at 75%. Season 2 premiere at 100%. Season 3 premiere at 79%. Season 4 premiere at 100%. Season 5 premiere at 77%, Season 6 premiere at 81%, and Season 7 premiere at 83%. And I have to say that these figures, they both surprised me and not surprised me. Uh, for one, well, Murder House was my favorite season. Um, but at, uh, for, so for the 
I can't believe that season, the season six premiere was at 81%. I thought that would have been the lowest. And maybe it's because my whole, like, I just don't like the whole mockumentary aspect of it. But a lot of people did like the uh, season six. But um, season seven, I thought, would have been higher at 74% as far as the seasons go. Right now, we're only two episodes in, so I guess that makes sense. Maybe more episodes come and later on, or maybe the season finale will, will, win, will be when, you know, that bigger change. But, um, and I thought uh, Coven was really good. I love, so I love Murder House and I love Asylum and I love Coven. And Freak Show, I didn't watch all of, I stopped around, I think four episodes in. But uh, we've already talked about um, uh, Twisty the Clown, how he makes a appearance here, and he's one of the creepiest clowns ever. He also comes in at season seven as well. And it kind of ties in, so to speak, uh, because in season seven, um, Sarah Paulson, she is having dreams or nightmares of Twisty kind of a little, um, you know, connection right there. And I'm not sure at season seven, Carl, like the theme of it is going back to Freak Show. I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I have to agree. Murder House was the best season, in my opinion. There were so many freaky scenes in there. I don't know what was going on. Seriously, I didn't know what was going on because one episode was one way and the episode... Uh, and But when I saw the final episode, I was like, oh, okay, all right, okay. And of course, it did not it did not help that I would watch one, one episode one and then uh, not see episode two. You know, I, I was watching the this, this season sparingly. That didn't help. Asylum, I've seen it. There was so many things there too. You had aliens, you had creatures, you had the 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 warden of the hospital. Everybody there was sick in some way and weird. The only one I haven't seen is Coven. I haven't seen Freak Show. I haven't seen Hotel. I saw Roanoke, which is one of my favorites, and uh, it. It was original idea. It was something different from the other seasons, having that found footage uh, type thing going on. But it, that's not found footage. It, that that that'll be classified as um, reality TV. That's what it is. Reality TV, and it, it was in, It's because since I enjoy those ghost stories, uh, those ghost documentaries, uh, like when ghosts attack. You know, it sounds cheesy, you know, and you just want to watch it just for the entertainment value. You don't you don't care if it's true or not. It's just, oh, okay, it's entertaining. So that's how I found running up. I haven't watched Cult, though. I haven't seen episode one or two. And it's on the DVR. There's no excuse. I can't say I'd missed it. It's It's recorded. Just haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I loved Hotel. I loved Hotel. Um, 
Roanoke, you already know my my issue with Roanoke. I still only seen the first two episodes, I think. Um, I haven't revisited yet. But uh, <laughs> I just can't get over that mockumentary uh, part. It just throws it all off for me. It's a lot of confusion right there when it's going back between like, okay, you have the story and then you have the narrators who look nothing like any people in the story. I'm like, well, who is this person? <laughs> what, what story is she telling? Like, why? So I guess that's what throws me off. Ah, uh, yeah, well, there was there was a story inside a story. It, 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 it had its entertainment value there in a way. I, I did not enjoy the ending. I thought that ending was so terrible. Like, really? You had me sitting here watching this whole season just for that. I mean, I did not think it was so climatic at all. Uh, I think it was just rushed. That final episode was like, okay, we're going to do this to all the characters. That's it. Yeah. And also, Cuba Gooding Jr. was in seasons, season uh, that season of Roanoke. I, he's one of my favorite actors because he could do comedy, he could do horror, he could do thriller. He's a well versatile actor. I, I'm I'm not sure why he's not on a popular status, you know, higher than what he is. I mean, he's been on a lot of films and and things of that nature. Yes, and now you you said that um, you haven't watched Caught yet, right? You haven't. Um, no, I haven't watched it at oh, all. Okay. I don't know what's um, going on there. to watch it. You, uh, it's like that that premiere. It's it's with a bang. The premiere's with a bang. I do feel like um, it's a little too much. As at least that first, um, at least that first episode. It goes back too much into politics, but I get it, you know. But um, it's just—is <laughs> <laughs> that good, huh? It is. It's just really good, and there's an awesome cliffhanger in the second episode. I, they, they have to do that. They have to. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I can't wait for episode three. So. And I need to go back and um, I, I think I gotta finish watching Coven and I have to finish watching Preacher. I'm just gonna watch it from the beginning and Roanoke just for the heck of it, I guess. Just like, for the heck of it. Just for the heck of it. I mean, this is your favorite show. You, you, you have uh, given many much acclaim to some of the seasons here and uh, for American Horror Story. Yeah. But it's, I, it's good and huh. I've said I I I just need to be more up to date with the episodes. That's all. Yeah, they're they're really like you said. Murder House is my favorite one of all. It really is. Um. Yeah, I think that was a favorite for everyone because I don't think nobody was expecting American Horror. When I first seen season one, I thought it was gonna continue. I had no idea this was gonna be an anthology. So when I saw Asylum, I'm like, wait, different characters? What, what's going on here? Uh, I'm just seeing, I mean, it's from what you described, cult ties into Freak Show. I believe one season should like tie all these things together. 
I, I don't know when that's gonna happen. Well, isn't that what they had talked about? Um, something like that? Has this latest season tying it all together? I thought that was disgusting somewhat. Yeah, I heard talks like that as well, but uh, so far, you know. Maybe it just hasn't come up yet, because we're only in the second episode, so. But I thought that's what was being talked about. Huh. Right now, the only connection I can make is to Twisty from Freak Show. And right. not even, I won't really say the whole season of Freak Show, it's just, you know, Twisty appears a lot. Right. Hmm. So. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I, I, in my opinion, I think Coven was the season that did not do so well. I think that's across the board. Uh, the ratings for that season were weren't up to par, and Freak Show did did good. I'm unsure with the statistics with Roanoke, given that they had such a interesting advertisement campaign nobody knew what the topic for Roanoke I mean for that season season six nobody knew it was going to be about Roanoke it they were throwing out FX was throwing out some weird trailers here and there uh, but nothing pinpointing to what this was No. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, where this season is going. Now, have you watched Asylum? Did you say you watched Asylum? Yeah, I watched Asylum. Okay. I, I did not see the final two episodes. I did not see. But I knew, I've seen, you know, the patients and there was some crazy things going outside and the warden and then there, there was a sex addict in there in some way yeah so it was just, well, just now, weird what was that whole story because this still confused me what was the whole story with Anne Frank like in there was she hallucinating or was she actually Anne Frank in there I crazy get, woman <laughs> yeah she was crazy she was a page uh, okay. yeah that's, that's the okay. impression I got yeah, all of that confused me. I was like, so is she air freak or is she just hallucinating or is she crazy? What's going on? Yeah, that's that's how I seen it. Yeah. I mean, now, yeah. how would you say? Um, well, I know you haven't seen Caught yet, but how do you think you would rate the premieres of uh, of the seasons? Uh, for me, I mean, these ratings are weird. I mean especially so yeah especially for for coven season three that that's just it's fresh at a hundred percent at 79 percent no and season one premiere only being at 75 percent i'm like I, I mean it seems like a lot of people or you know but this is coming from rotten tomatoes right right i mean they're a reputable source of course for for ratings but you would have to take into consideration the whole season. Uh, episode yeah. one, of course, they're gonna make episode one. Look at episode one for Hotel. You know, the ep that was season five. And here it, it, it's on a 77. And that first episode for season five, they had everything. I mean, uh, a, a guy getting raped, you had Lady Gaga, uh, drugs. I mean, there was so much shit in that first episode, just to get a 77, and Coven, 
gets 79 that nah nah something's wrong with those statistics but yeah i don't it, it just this doesn't seem fresh to me it seems rotten <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i thought the same thing as well yeah and murder but house I, come on 75 that was the that was season one episode one yeah. I, yeah. a lot of people tuned into that one because that was the first episode but also i feel like my tomatoes they are really a hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what are you, a bunch of um, critics? Like, yeah, you know? they are a bunch of critics, yeah. And it's regular <laughs> average people who just, they sign up for Rotten Tomatoes and they become critics and uh, they express their opinions on film and television. But in this case, I am disagreeing with the statistics. Season 7, episode 1, 83%. Mm, that's far-fetched. That is way far-fetched. Uh, uh, wh- how are they basing this uh, these statistics on? I mean, we have something called the Nielsen ratings. Are they giving their basis on that? Or are they giving their basis on what people are saying on their website? That would be two different statistics right there. Uh, that's, that's interesting. PBS Digital Studios' Origin of Everything debuts with Scary Clowns. Well, PBS is one television station, a uh, television network, that you do not associate with horror. And their upcoming series, titled Origin of Everything, is technically not a horror series. Their first episode, which is available now on YouTube, it discusses scary clowns and here's a synopsis for that episode this week's episode dives into clowns focusing on both the history of the jesters themselves and more specifically how they went from being ambiguously loved pranksters to the creepy menacing variety found in films like stephen king's it the rest of the season for Origin of Everything does not delve on fear factor topics. They would be discussing issues such as why is 18 considered an adult, how makeup, World War II and communism created the United States healthcare system, and how Columbus invented cannibals. Okay, well that last one seems to be a horror related topic. but. Origin of Everything delves more into uh, social topics. But this first episode is definitely a watch, especially for you, Stacy, who love creepy clowns. You could give this first episode a watch. And as I had mentioned, the first episode is on YouTube, which we will be providing a link to the article outline for this podcast. Uh, Yeah, Stacy, I don't, I haven't watched PBS since I was a little kid watching Sesame Street. And the only thing that was creepy on that was uh, Big Bird's hallucinations. I always thought, man, is this Big Bird, uh, is he taking drugs or something? Because he's always hallucinating about a furry elephant. Uh, I never knew (laughs) 
You know, I never, as a kid, I'm like, why is he hallucinating? He's tripping. <laughs> but yeah, so scary clowns on PBS on this show. What do you think about that? Oh, well, PBS and scary clowns. That's something new. Because isn't, isn't PBS like a kid's station, right? No, PBS, no? They, they provide uh, content uh, more delving into the community, social issues, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, most of their programming are paid from non-for-profit organizations. And uh, okay. yeah, it's all original programming there. So everything from Sesame Street to uh, issues on education. For example, well, yeah, see, that, yeah, that, that's what I remember watching PBS with Sesame Street, and everything I've ever watched from PBS was like a, a kid's cartoon. So that's why I asked that. But um, I guess this is some, uh, yeah, this is something new that I, I will have to check out the first episode. I, I think creepy clowns are awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah creepy awesome. clowns are always awesome, as we discussed in the yeah. opening. Uh, segment to this podcast you can't go wrong with creepy clowns and i am sure in this first episode which i have not seen yet i I should watch it that they'll delve into the history of the creepy clowns and clowns in general because it's weird how does a entertainment character just change into something creepy that doesn't make you had made a note of this stacy with uh, edward gacy dressing up as a clown and you know that is scary right there that's that's weird and we all know what he did yeah (laughs) yeah definitely um yeah i just i don't know i guess i couldn't really imagine creepy clowns on pbs but yeah I, I'm still trying to even imagine it. It's been years since I last watched PBS, honestly. Yeah. But when I was, I was watching Sesame Street and shows like that. And it was always because, like, my music watcher or something like that. But, um, it's been so long, so... <clears throat> yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool to check this first episode yeah. out. And as I mentioned, the other episodes that's, that follows in Origin of Everything, it has to do with history and uh government uh, topics except for that last one how columbus invented cannibals that's an interesting watch how did how yeah how did he invent cannibals <laughs> right uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's interesting cannibals as well creepy clowns and cannibals <laughs> uh, wow what a combination a uh, cannibalistic creepy clown there you go Oh, now cannibalism is another thing that scares me in Santa Uh Yeah, but you know that's true. There, there are tribes that do uh, partake in that type of diet. So yeah, <laughs> and I've also like you know I mean I've, I've read up on quite a few cases of cannibals. So that one definitely and I've seen a couple movies as well. But yeah, that's one thing that actually scares me too. So, yeah, 50,000 Cannibals on PBS. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> this is definitely a change of times. <laughs> That's what I can say. Wow. <laughs> this is a change of times. And g- good thing that you brought up change of times. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? 
This free conference call is provided by Uber Conference. Joining Conference Now. Wow, I'm. I, this thing keeps on disconnecting. I don't know what's going on. Uh, let me close this out. You can hear me, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm closing this out. This is driving me nuts. Uh, lucky thing that you brought up uh, how times are changing because origin of everything is a new weekly series from PBS and they will launch on two platforms these episodes will be uploaded each week on YouTube and on Facebook at the same time so I I have the impression that PBS is trying to gain more attention uh, perhaps visitors to the network are not what they used to be so they're utilizing social platforms such as youtube and facebook and i'm i'm certain twitter as well to promote these upcoming shows and i believe that presenting topics such as scary clowns and cannibals would be of interest to per, you know different communities uh, such as horror and us because i'm curious i want to see what, what these uh what they have to say about scary clowns. Thank you for tuning in to another episode for DK Mag Podcast. My name is Ken Artuz, founder and editor for DKMag.com. And you could find our podcast on iTunes and also on Google Music. My co-host for this episode was Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. We're on Stitcher. Be sure to rate and review DK Mag on Stitcher. Rating and review help us win. And of course, you could find DK Mag across social network platforms. We are on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, Google Plus, and we will soon be joining Snapchat. Yes, we would be joining Snapchat. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Stacy, do you have Snapchat? I do, but now I'm going to have to reinstall it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. There is, there is much untapped resources in Snapchat. And yeah, I'm not going to be using filters and making uh, myself look like a, a puppy dog or anything like that. No, that's just no, no, you would not see that. Uh, but we will be documenting uh, some very interesting aspects of our daily routine here at DK Mag. So stay tuned for that. We'll blast our social channels once we're up on Snapchat. So Stacy, do you use those filters? Yeah, I know you did, didn't you? Uh, no, no. Well, I, <laughs> I did it once just for fun, but I never uploaded it to Snapchat. Uh, I just, I did it and I saved it to my own pictures. And yeah, it's just no, I don't like them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> They're silly. They are silly. Yeah, those filters are <laughs> silly. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, there's, there's much, this is an untapped avenue. And uh, yeah, I am looking forward to presenting our content to a new stream of visitors. And uh, yeah, to grow is all about growing. <laughs>